0: But the global pandemic has also created an opportunity to build back better. Building back better, this pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts.
1: Now we have to accelerate because we are living the first consequences of basically climate disorders. It's time to rush and President Biden is 100% right to do so.
2: Last week... I shared the outlines of my plan to build back better.
3: It's about building this country back better.
1: As Europeans, we increased our targets for 2030 and 2050 a few months ago. We need India and China to be with us. With Chancellor Merkel, we had a discussion with President Xi. The Great Reset. And I think we we felt the commitments of President Xi on climate to work with the US and with Europe. First, to accelerate its target of 2030. Our strongest beliefs are challenged by the rise of a yet unknown new world order. A, a new world order that China has to be part of the process of creating it. And they have to buy in. They have to own it. really need to bring China into the creation of a new uh, um, uh uh world order
4: partnership and cooperation among nations is not a choice it is the only way now is the time to join together through constant cooperation and strong institutions and shared sacrifice and a global commitment to progress to meet the challenges of the 21st century
3: build it back better we must build back
1: better
2: build back better
4: to build back better.
5: To build back better. Build back better.
2: Build back
5: better.
1: A unique opportunity to reset our global agenda. An unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live. Pour construire the world post-COVID that we
2: souhaitons.
6: Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, October 1st, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a fantastic show planned for you. A lot of important information. The first half of the show entirely is going to be focused on foreign policy because it's very important today. And we're going to be talking about Ukraine, Russia, Iran, Israel, a bunch of stuff going on. And as always lately, it's hard to miss how it does seem to overlap with the larger agenda taking place. And Quite frankly, I think that's always the way the world has worked. And we're just now truly beginning to see the outlines of how obvious that's always been. Sort of like the point of what we're seeing there, you know, the New World Order concept. It's such ridiculous conspiracy theory, despite being spouted and openly discussed by every single group you can point at. The open coordination, discussion, behind the scenes meetings, the groupings of the, you know, the planning and coordination, of course, for your best interest. Well, fine. Couldn't you argue that even if, It is isn't your best interest. I don't think it is. But even if it is, isn't that the same concept? Does it have to be that it's planning some evil, nefarious future? Like, it's interesting how quickly it shut down the idea these people work behind the scenes to coordinate some planned vision for the future, despite them literally saying that's what they're doing. If you point out that things may not be what we're told, it just it's it's so clear that the idea of conspiracy theory was an obvious construct to shut down critical thinking and questioning what's happening. And today we're watching, or I, I believe beginning to finally realize that it's always been that nobody really bought that entirely. People have an internal willingness to kind of question what they're being told. And I thought that's my opinion anyway. And I think we're starting to see that. And we've always been told that you're the crazy one in the corner. And really, you've always, we've, been, we've all been in that corner together. But there's a lot to talk about today to show you how this all connects. And it will not just be foreign policy. We're going to talk about some. Oh, and I'm going to get into right in the middle before we get into the COVID-19 discussion about uh, specifically a bill around transgender kids in California. Somebody just mentioned another bill in the chat that they apparently just signed. I'll maybe look at that while we get into that section. I just pulled the number up. But then we're also going to talk about some interesting overlap. Another really important study that, in my opinion, proves when taken in the context of the body of work that's already there, peer reviewed science and otherwise that these injections are causing very clearly, which we know myocarditis, but encephalitis, swelling of the brain. And that it has nothing to do with COVID-19, which again, you all know this stuff, but this is important to see how this is a building body of work. And that overlaps with the conversation of the blood, tra- blood transfusion Red Cross conversation, which in my opinion, I mean, if this was an honest conversation and, and honest investigators, the people would be in prison right now. Like just taking the blood transfusion uh, Red Cross conversation, because I can prove just with what I've shown you, the phone calls we had, the way back machine conversations of them changing their narrative, that they're lying to people right now. In fact, the point that they say that it doesn't go in the bloodstream as of like a week ago, There's nobody around that even makes that argument anymore. So they're still grasping to some old narrative as if that keeps them safe from criminal criminal accusation. I mean, it's crazy, but there's a lot of that. And we're going to show you the overlap of the blood and how it's still happening and being used interchangeably and why that's very, very concerning. But the overlap with that, with myocarditis, and the collapsing of everything we can see—another person involved with the Queen's funeral just collapsed and died. I mean, it just never stops. We're going to talk about an interesting overlap that I see in regard to what the the title MISC, which is supposed to mean Multi System Inflammatory si- Syndrome in Children. Not sure why MISC is that acronym. I'll get into why I think that's interesting in a moment and how that overlaps with a lot of undescribable catch all categories for. Anything, apparently, SADS, Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Most people still don't know. That's not a definable thing. It is a catch-all for unexplainable death. That's what it says on their own definitions. But most people still think it's some sort of defined category that they diagnose people with. And they do actually diagnose people with it, which is crazy. But it means we have no idea what's happening right now. I'm going to get into one specific example. But I wanted to open a conversation for us about maybe... Just simply asking how many more of those things are out there that we don't even know about. Other catch-all diagnoses that we call things, we say this is what they have, but could it be that they're just a bunch of catch-all categories in some cases that they just dump things into that could also be side effects of previous vaccines? Well, these are just questions and we'll get into it and you guys can ask yourselves. The very least, I think it is, there are a lot of categories like that where other things get caught into it. Vaccine side effects, other problems that we don't diagnose or even know about, but we'll get into that. And we're going to finish today with social credit, ESG, climate change, and where that's going, all using the fear we're going to discuss today. It's very, very clear to me, and it's all happening right now. Simultaneously, the, Fed, the Federal Reserve piloting a, an ESG social credit system alongside the World Economic Forum, talking about climate credits, which we just discussed in a previous show. It's all happening simultaneously. Simultaneously. Now, I argue in a large way that's why the foreign policy sphere has sort of exploded all of a sudden, yet again, so we're not paying attention to how clear this all really seems to be. Not that it's all manufactured, could be, but these things are happening in a lot of moving parts, but the media apparatus focuses in one spot or the other, because they want you looking where they want you looking, and I think we need to see that by now. But to start off today, I want to get into the foreign policy perspective coming from an israeli palestinian discussion to start off for for one important reason first i wanted to shout out robert's outstanding article that went out yesterday israel now using artificial intelligence technology to kill palestinians don't miss the obvious overlap to the direction that this is all going and as we continually point out over the years i think this is well, it, it's not just about the pal- – the bottom line is that this is – Palestine and a lot of these areas are used to test things. And then they're sold as tested, even though they really were just thrown into an area where people can't defend themselves for the most part and kill people. And they name that tested, battle-tested, ba- you know, battle-proven, things like that. So now we're watching what I can see is the first iteration of actual AI weaponry being deployed so then later people can, be, can buy this at weapon shows as battle-tested. That's not we're not making this up and I'll show you next. But the point is that this is already happening right now today in Israel. Now, this is an image you can see, but here are images and this is what they're trying to argue. Oh, no, it's just defensive or on these on these the border areas of, you know, occupied Palestine that suddenly no longer becomes a a valid argument, but that they're on vehicles patrolling. These are guns with artificial intelligence, at reactive technology, and they're, they're ar- are arguing that these are going to be used to decide based on body movements, or at the very least, it's something they're trying to accomplish based on body movements alone, whether or not you're going to commit a crime. Now, we already know the Bethlehem doctrine that the U.S., the U.K., and Israel primarily espouse, espouse which is that they have the right to, defense, to preemptive self-defense. Talk about ridiculous Orwellian co- talking points. Or defend? How, do you, how in the world are you preemptively defending yourself? That's called offense. But well, what they do is they say, we think that's going to happen. Therefore, we have a right to defend before it even happens. So how about you think that's going to work here? And don't forget people like Eric Schmidt saying, once we get to a world where AI is making decisions, that ultimately we have to let them decide, even if it looks like the wrong thing, because they know better, paraphrasing. Well, here we are. So when this thing shoots a Palestinian, do you think they're going to debate whether the AI was wrong? Think about that. Think about how alarming this is. This is where it's all going. Here's a video you can see of the checkpoint and how it works. It's crazy. Now, the one point I wanted to shout out here, as, as Robert's article writes, now we have proof that Israel is using AI-powered weapons in the West Bank. Not just Gaza, by the way, the West Bank. Weapons that will be tested on Palestinians, and as he writes, seeking to judge what a threat looks like from protesters. As if it even matters. They just get to claim the thing said threat, therefore. And my point is in this article would be that ultimately it's whether or not that's even the truth, whether or not the AI is even actually in effect. That's Whitney Webb's making this point that the argument's more important about you thinking the AI is actually making decisions when really, who's to say? They could decide for themselves. But As I as it writes here in the article, a common practice of the Israeli government is to sell weapons as battle tested and combat proven if they were first used on Palestinians in occupied territories. And I wanted to show a play an an old video from this was, I think, soapbox. Uh, This video is important because it does have a clip showing you what they're actually talking about at the weapons show and what they actually how they frame this.
7: Israel is a tiny country with a population of just 8.5 million, yet it ranks among the top arms exporters in the world. How did that happen? Well, it's no secret that Palestine is the site of grave human rights violations by Israel. But it's about more than just Palestine. What Israel does to Palestinians has far-reaching consequences that touch every corner of the globe. You see, on top of being occupied, colonized territory, Palestine is Israel's personal laboratory for testing, refining, and showcasing methods and weapons of domination and control. Easy access to a captive and disenfranchised Palestinian population to experiment on has given rise to a booming homeland security industry in Israel that repopulates occupation-style repression for use on marginalized populations in other parts of the world. It allows Israeli arms producers to market their products as battle-tested and combat-proven. Coveted labels that give Israel a competitive edge in the international arms trade. This has been especially lucrative for Israel in the post 9 11 era. Israeli arms sales have risen from two billion dollars annually in 2002 to over nine billion dollars in 2017. The most extreme version of the laboratory dynamic is the Gaza Strip, which functions as an open-air test ground for weapons of mass destruction. Gaza is home to nearly two million Palestinians, many of them refugees and the descendants of refugees who were forced out of their homes in 1948. Gaza is basically an open-air prison, surrounded by an air, sea, and land blockade. This makes it a convenient laboratory for Israel's most destructive weapons. In the summer of 2014, Israel launched a brutal 51-day bombing campaign in Gaza that killed over 2,000 Palestinians, including more than 500 children. Less than a month after the massacre, Israel held its annual drone expo, featuring many systems that had been used for the first time during the 2014 Gaza
5: onslaught. This was used with our systems. That video was taken by this system right here. That's how it uh, works. Yeah. It's- our system have
2: been proven. We call it battlefield proven. Battlefield
8: field. proven. So there's like a lot of pride in that statement. There is.
6: Elbit sure. systems. And so what that means, just to make it clear, in case there's any com- confusion, that they're they're using this on Palestinian protesters. That's what we're talking about. And in some cases, the skirmishes that they want to call them happen, when in, re- in reality, there's very rare instances today, especially where there's like real battlefield action happening. Right. It's just not how it's in most cases, as Robert points out, they are afraid of even engaging in this way because it's it's almost never in their benefit at the end of the day. But whole conversation to be had there. The point is that they are using this on people like the children you see that died or the people that lose their legs or this. It's everywhere. Everything they're doing in this occupied territory, which is not a war, it's occupation and people fighting for freedom and claiming that because they used it on them, it's battle proven. And this gives them a one up on the weapons trade. I mean, this is just horrific. This has been going on forever. This is the reality of the situation that it's only just now beginning to be allowed to be discussed, which is the part I'm going to get into next is Israel's largest military technology firm
7: and one of Israel's leading producers of drones. Israeli military firms like Elbit use each new war on Gaza as an opportunity to expedite the testing and release of their weapons in front of international buyers. This has helped make Israel the world's number one exporter in drone technology. Since 1985, Israel has supplied 60.7% of the world's drones to at least 50 different countries.
6: Now think Obama's drone campaign, uh, Trump's continuation of that drone campaign. And, you know, the the whole point of being that this is clearly being driven by the uh, Israeli Like, the fact that they're selling 60% of the making the majority of what the world uses in the U.S. just so happens to be the leading effort in using them and killing civilians. Don't forget, 90-something percent of the people killed by these programs during Obama's run were civilians. They were unbelievably high amount number of civilians. And the point is that Israel's the one pushing those sales. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, it's not hard to see how this is working. The overlap here is insulting, especially as an American with a country being very clearly driven by Israeli policy. Israeli policy, the government, not the individuals that are abused in the, the same way. Like, I'm going to get into that point in a minute about the overlap, the confusion around Zionism, Judaism, and in general, like the, the manipulation by the Zionist about what that actually is. The point, though, is that this is one of the most insulting situations where you can see people being murdered, killed, and not just talking about the testing of weapons, the entire Israeli Palestinian occupation. It is finally starting to open up to where people can point out what this really is. It's an apartheid state, an occupation, illegal, just like the United States. Weird how they're seemingly working alongside each other not at all because they're doing the same things
7: that's quite an achievement for a country no bigger than New Jersey it's the same pattern with Israeli border technology in 2014 elbit systems won a 145 million dollar contract to build a virtual wall of surveillance towers along the Arizona Mexico border the same sort of technology used at the illegal separation wall israel built in the west bank trump has since tapped an israeli company to build a prototype for the border wall he hopes to build it's not just israeli equipment that's exported around the world, but also Israeli methods. Under the cover of counterterrorism training, nearly every major US policing agency, from local police departments to ICE to the FBI, has traveled to Israel for lessons in occupation enforcement, crowd control, use of force, media spin, and Islamic fundamentalism. These police exchanges are organized by pro-Israel groups like the Anti-Defamation League and the American Jewish Committee's Project Interchange. The police officers who participate are taking the lessons they learned in Israel back to the United States, according to the ADL. And there are concrete examples of them doing just that. The NYPD's demographic unit that used to spy on Muslims was modeled in part on how Israeli authorities operate in the occupied West Bank. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio may have disbanded the unit, but the NYPD relationship with Israel is still running strong. So strong that the Israeli NYPD has a branch stationed in Israel. Three months after Ferguson, Missouri erupted in protest in response to the police killing of Michael Brown, the St. Louis Police Department Department began stockpiling skunk spray. Skunk spray is a foul-smelling liquid developed by the Israeli police, and it's sprayed exclusively on Palestinian protesters, and sometimes on entire Palestinian neighborhoods.
6: And the whole point about that kind of thing is that there's it's un, it's untested. So not in the sense that they don't know, but that the average person, we don't know what's in that. And always, whether we're talking about the supposed smoke grenades or or you know whatever they the, the whatever they call them the. Um, not smoke grenades why am i blanking all of a sudden that's frustrating in any case you know the things that they use all the crowd dispersing smoke that they spray out why am i blanking on what those are called put in the chat for me that the the, that the that smoke is not just smoke people end up having seizures people die and this is documented they start going into seizures, they can't see, they have They're never the same. That stuff's used regularly. These are chemical weapons, not to mention the fact that they use things like white phosphorus all the time and have been caught all the time, and they just have an excuse and no one talks about it. The point is that kind of stuff right there, for all we know, has all sorts of very dangerous things in it and has been proven to have very dangerous things happen to these people, and just nobody cares to follow up. So maybe that right in and of itself is part of the test. Maybe these things are being tested. Now think about how that translates to a world where we're now watching massive tests via vaccination. Think about the idea of all the Israeli people. And Pal- Ooh, sorry, they took kept it from many of the Palestinians, which is a blessing in disguise. But the testing that happened to all the Israelis. They, the, Pfizer called it the world's lab, didn't they? That's the point. So maybe this is all connected in regard to what has been being used on these people. Just something to think about.
7: It emits a foul stench that has been described as a mix between rotting animal corpse, raw sewage, and feces. And the odor sticks to walls, clothing, hair, and skin for
6: days. Which it wouldn't surprise me if it actually was some sort of like unsanitary mixture. Uh, Exactly the point.
7: It's impossible to wash away. Skunk spray hasn't been used on U.S. soil yet, but other U.S. police departments are trying to get their hands on it. Deadly and racist police violence in the U.S. is bad enough as it is. Adding Israeli-style repression to that already dangerous mix will only make things worse. That's why activists are pushing for an end to U.S.-Israeli police collaboration. Here's how the former mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, responded to their demands.
4: I happen to believe that the Israeli police department has some of the best counterterrorism techniques in the world and it benefits our police department from that long-standing relationship.
7: Activists in Durham, North Carolina had more success.
8: In recent weeks, a petition has been circulating in Durham asking the city council to condemn those police exchanges. Tonight, the group behind the petition is claiming victory.
7: Durham has become the first city in the U.S. to ban police exchanges in Israel. And activists in other parts of the country plan to push for similar measures. But in the meantime, as long as Israel's economy is shaped by the subjugation of Palestinians, it will continue to function as a factory for cutting edge repression technology that sustains and reinforces racism, inequality, and war around the globe. In many ways, what Israel does to Palestinians is a glimpse into the future of what's to come for the most vulnerable and marginalized among us, from the killing fields of Gaza to the tear gas streets of Ferguson and beyond. which makes.
6: Son of a gun, tear gas. Man, that frustrates me. I don't know. If they, I, now I see someone wrote it in the chat. <laughs> that drives me crazy when you just can't, for some reason, just don't connect. But I'm going to I let it finish. The
7: battle for justice in Palestine, a
6: global one. Oh, I screwed up the ending there. Sorry. But the point here, guys, is that she's pretty prescient there, right? This is an older video. Yeah, did very clearly seemed to be a glimpse into the future. Here we are. Right, but what's interesting is don't forget, and this is here's an interesting overlap in regard to the, the the storm that everybody loves to hype, even though it's a storm and it's bad and it's pretty serious, but it is a storm and that happens in the world. <laughs> so it's, I hate how this gets politicized, and I love all those videos of the CNN correspondents going, and it's so much weather, and they're walk, rocking back and forth, and you see three people walk behind them to their car. You know these they're they're ridiculous. They don't even care how ridiculous they look. It's all propaganda. What you'll find an interesting overlap is there are people now being argue, basically coerced into signing certain things in order to get certain help from the supposed tax paid support from the government. Don't forget, back in, I forget what year it was, I'm almost, I'm almost, I am, I am actually blanking on the name of the, the hurricane as well. I don't want to mis, misstate it, but we all remember that during in Texas, I think it was, I don't want to misstate it, the hurricane that was in Texas, they were forcing people to sign a statement that said they would not boycott Israel. And if they didn't sign that, they would not get money to help them while they were suffering from the hurricane. And this is money that your taxes paid for. I mean, just because I can't pull up something to show you, I'm sure plenty of people will dismiss that as ridiculous, but it's not. And it's very easy to look up. It happened all over the place. How does that even possibly make sense to anybody? Well, this is how they use this against you. The point is not to, to dwell on the idea of Israel and the larger point of it, but just to realize that this is the way that governments operate. Right now, here is what Art, what Derek, Robert just put up the day before. Israeli forces kill foreign Jenin, and they mutilated a Palestinian dead body and carved in the words the end in the person's body. Of course, you saw this nowhere on the corporate media because they're pathetic and they don't care to co- talk about anything that challenges what their narrative is. But this is how this all works. And these are the people that your government support. Now, this brings us to the point that I wanted to get into about specifically Israel today. Now, Robert uh, is investigating this. He might be writing something, might just get back to me with more information. But before that happens, I'm just going to go over what the, the surface level story is here and give you my, my perspective on this. Now, just understand that he has a sneaking suspicion that this might not even be what even what, what is actually happening behind what their ridiculous headline is. I'll explain that as I go through this. Now, this is New York Post. To from the thirtieth yesterday, U.C. Berkeley, an obviously left-leaning school, is blasted. The headline writes for creating, in quotes, Jewish free zones with pro-Israel speaker ban. Now, what's I before I even got into this, my my thoughts were like, "There's no way that's what actually happened. There's just no way because that's not the, unless everything shifted in a very dramatic way yesterday, and I missed it. Even the Overton window shifting to people, people even at Berkeley." Even even specifically at left leaning schools are beginning to go. Yes, Israel is an apartheid state. Yes, the Palestinians are being killed because that's always what's been happening. And they're just finally being allowed to be able to talk about that because things are shifting because of the work by people like Robert. But you won't be surprised. Spoiler alert. That's not even remotely what actually happened, at least according to the story. The story, when you actually read past the first headline, is that they were talking about Zionist free, or rather people that promoted and supported the attacks on Palestinians, the illegal occupation, and Zionism. Not in, not, the only even connection to Judaism is that people that are Zionist use Judaism to promote what they're doing and pretend like that's the same thing. It's not. And people that are Palestinians, people that are writing these things, are aware of that. That's why they said Zionism and not Jewish. Or of course, the New York Post and the people that they cite in that quote, which is guess who the Jewish syndicate, uh, the Jewish news syndicate, of course, were the ones going, no, they, this is Jewish free zones. That's not even what they said. That's not what they actually are. But they love to make that conflation so they can argue they're racist when they're not. That's the point. Now, what Robert's looking into is whether there are even actually Zionist free zones or whether the people that are there are actually doing that or this is some larger manipulation. That could be true, too. Robert is doing good work. He's doing outstanding work. Now, the point here is to read through this and understand that, first of all, that could be the caveat, that this all could be some construct by people that are trying to deceive you. But first, let's just take it at face value, and we'll follow up with what Robert finds. Because I find this, even if it, let's just pretending this is really happening, that even in and of itself shows you a really important point about how the media will willfully mislead you because of what they think. That is important to understand. So the person writing this article, the editor of this outlet, the people that are running these sta- these entire groupings, they will influence the story based on what they believe should be the truth, what they want you to think these people mean. None of that is actual fact. None of that's rooted in what's go- really happening. That's like when they say, wink, wink, we know what Putin thinks. We know what he wants. He wants to overtake the world. How could you possibly know that? If you were even remotely honest, you would say that we think this is what he's trying to accomplish based on this and this and that. That's not what they do. These people are children. They are writing articles as if they know what Trump thinks, what they know Putin wants, and what they know you think when you write something about vaccines. These are ridiculous people. They don't even make, I don't even think many of them realize it about themselves. But here's what it says. The University of California, Berkeley, was slammed Friday for creating, th- that's how it starts, quote, Jewish free zones after nine student groups adopted a rule forbidding pro-Israel speakers at events. These people are liars. That's not, like the title, maybe. Because you could say, well, we're quoting what one person said. But when you literally write the sentence that says they were slammed for creating Jewish free zones, you're showing, you're claiming they did do that. Because most people don't read past the first the headline, let alone the first paragraph, and they know that. But let's get into the the actual, (laughs) the third and fourth paragraph, maybe. Let's see what happens. The controversial bylaw, updated for the new academic year by a pro-Palestinian group on campus says it aims to stop the spread of Zionist beliefs. Hmm. Well, that seems a bit different than Jewish free zones, doesn't it? Well, let's keep going. But first of all, realize this is not one small thing. This is a school multi-group thing. And it says, quote, the organizations will not invite, this is from the groups, would not invite speakers that have expressed interest and continue to hold views, host, sponsor, or promote events In support of Zionism, the apartheid state of Israel, and the occupation of Palestine. Okay. Well, first of all, two of those things are illegal. (laughs) So I don't know how they're going to pretend. Well, all they're going to do is act like that's not what's happening. It's not an apartheid state. It's not an occupation. Well, it's provably the opposite. Right? It's provable. All the human rights organizations leading the world today are very clearly calling it an apartheid state. Human Rights Watch, uh, uh, Bet Selim, uh, Amnesty International, they're all calling it that. Okay. The occupation obviously is illegal. They just pretend that's not what's happening. We obviously know that's the reality. So, the only caveat there or the only issue, I guess, would be the word Zionism. Okay. So, they're going to try to conflate Zionism by itself as it is Judaism. It's not true. They say that it's just simply and provably by the definitions of the words not true. Now, Zionism is a political and a political ideology that uses Judaism. Now, there is a whole Grouping of people, a lot, lot of people, entire Orthodox Judaism organizations, groups in Israel that actively speak out about Zionism and say exactly that. They are bastardizing Judaism for their own purposes. Now, there's, I'm sure there's an overlap. There is. We know that. But understand, it, it's not all or nothing. It's not all Jewish people are this way or all Zionists are this way. It's an overlap. But the reality is to say Jewish free zones is fake news. To say that Jewish people are this way is racist. That's a reality because you could argue there's plenty of Jewish people that aren't like that. Now, are there Jewish people that are Zionist? Yes, <laughs> it's a, it's simple. It's, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about this stuff because it's not that complicated. They want you to think it is and to avoid talking about it because they'll call you racist. You know, I'm not afraid of these things. I get attacked by every possible angle. This stuff is is, is simply a way to hide the reality. So what they're saying is we don't want people speaking that support Zionism, which I agree is a, is a terrorist level mentality in regard to what they're trying to accomplish around the world. Now, you can call me wrong on that. I have a right to think that based on their actions. Apartheid state illegal, occupation illegal. Now, you could argue that they're not allowed this. You can't say people can't speak on their beliefs. Well, too bad. I agree with that, actually, but too bad because that's what you do in the exact same way in the reverse. You don't allow people to come speak that are pro this or, or anti that if you don't agree with those things. You're going to let someone come speak about the, the virtues of of not allowing abortion? Of course not. They won't allow people to speak on things that they politically don't agree with. But it's interesting that this is now being allowed, at least from a non-Zion, or anti-Zionism, anti-part side state s- stance, which again speaks to the changing of the conversation, even from a left-leaning school's perspective. That's interesting and very telling. It goes on to say, but the policy, which also effectively bans the school's Jewish dean from speaking... Was promptly slammed as an anti Semitic attack on free speech in an environment that's supposed to welcome diverse voices. Right. You mean people, so if I want to go and have a conversation about the dangers of vaccines, no, that's fake news. Oh, I see. So it's only diverse voices that you pretend are diverse, but within the, the wheelhouse that you operate in. You see the illusion there? You can't let's just say you want to come have a discussion about the pros and cons about vaccines. Nope, can't do that. We all we already know this. So this is that's a lie. That's just framing it a certain way. But this is the Zelensky illusion. Of course the Ukrainians are not Nazis because Jesus, he's Jewish. That doesn't mean anything in the context of whether or not it's a Nazi. There were Jewish people that collaborated with the Nazis. That It's, it's an illusion to even argue that. That's trying to scare you away from calling him something like that. But this case is the same thing. Well, the Jewish dean can't speak. Well, you know why he can't speak? Because he's pro-Zionist and pro-occupation and pro-apartheid state. That's why. And it has nothing to do with whether he's actually Jewish. It's the fact that he holds the beliefs of the things that are in fact not connected explicitly with Judaism, and he just frames them as the same, and that's actually what he says. Berkeley develops Jewish free zones. That's what the writer said about what they're doing, and that's what the New York Post uses as the headline in the first paragraph. Cowards. Absolute propagandists. That's Kenneth Marcus from, guess what, the Jewish News Syndicate. I wonder if he has an opinion that slants in a certain way. What do you think? I mean, that's just insulting to your intelligence. It says, quote, it is troubling to broadly exclude a particular viewpoint for being expressed. That's actually what they said. I mean, think about how stupid that is when 15 seconds ago you guys were stopping everybody from speaking about anything related to the vaccine. And you still are. But it's just shifting the window now. We're looking over at foreign policy, it seems. But think about how crazy that is. It's troubling to broadly exclude a particular viewpoint. That's everything that's been happening over the past three years. <laughs> I mean, My God, these people are just tunnel vision. But it says, taken literally, this would mean that I, this is the dean, could not be invited to speak because I, oh, or no, it's not the dean, it's the uh, writer from the Jewish News Syndicate, or Jewish News of Northern California, writes, this would mean I could not be invited to speak because I support the existence of Israel. That's not what they said. You see how quickly and chi- and just clumsily, ignorantly, they conflate these things. They didn't say just because you support Israel. They said Zionist, pro-apartheid state, and pro-occupation. Now, you could argue those would mean the same thing. And I would even make an argument that that, the supporting of Israel, for most contexts, would be support of that. But that's not what they're ultimately saying. And what what he would be saying is that because I am simply in support of Israel that I can't speak. And it's just not the same thing. The bottom line is the existence of Israel is an illegal occupation of Palestine. That is a fact. So if you, can't, if you don't like those two facts, then you can't pretend that they don't exist. Well, they do. It doesn't matter. But the bottom line is that these people are trying to conflate all these different things together. And all they're simply saying is people that do not respect and recognize the rights of these people and what the truth of history is. Now, here's something that you can throw into the mix that might upset some people. Is you can even take it so far as to say, look, you can support Israel as long as you acknowledge the fact that the Palestinians have right to that land. Israel can go somewhere else. Oh, no, that's big. That's a terrorism talk, right? That's how they frame that. You can disagree with it all you want. You can say that time has changed that they've been here this long. There's all these conversations are out there. But the bottom line is the reality is that this is what's Palestine. They occupied Palestine illegally. They continue to. They continue to shut down people's rightful rebellion, according to the United Nations, according to Geneva Conventions. People have a right to armed rebellion when they're illegally occupied. You can't mix these facts up. So no matter how you frame this, what Israel's doing is illegal. And here is one of the founding members of Israel who will tell you, of course there was a Palestine. I used to be a Palestinian. There's no denying this, guys.
3: When were Palestinians born? What What was all this area before the First World War? When Britain got the mandate over Palestine, what was Palestine then? Palestine was then the area between the Mediterranean and the Iraqi border. You say there is no such thing as Palestine. East a Palestinian. and West Bank. No, East and West Bank was Palestine. I'm a Palestinian.
9: It's just
6: so incredible how obvious this is, and they just. I mean, you may realize that very shortly, like yesterday, being facetious, but they were saying that there was no such thing as a Palestine. That's what the guy even pushed back on. We all know that's not true now. I mean, that, that is somehow squeaked through, and I think that's because of the changing discussion. But why would we trust anything else? This is the same thing with Ukraine right now and Zelensky. They lie about damn near everything every day, and yet the new claim comes out, and they all take it at face value until it gets proven to be fake, and they just jump away from it. They don't go back and go, oh, sorry, we were wrong. They just go away from it. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Here's what goes forward to say, the bylaw notes the goal of banning pro-Israel speakers is protecting the safety and welfare of Palestinian students. So there are, I mean, you could see this from the claim of any other perspective, people saying pro-China, pro-Russia, pro-North Korea. Like, it's just interesting how the narrative is shifting. And if these people feel that they're threatened, why is it any different than groups on the left, Antifa groups, like not allowing certain right speakers, right? Not allowing Jordan Peterson to speak. Like, can you not see how ridiculous that they, we, so you're not allowed to say that pro-Israel occupation people can't, we, we can, but you can't allow the Republicans to come talk? I mean, it's just Simply contradictory. But it says campus groups that adopted the rule included the Berkeley Law Muslim Student Association, Middle Eastern, and the Northern African Law Students Association. Period. Now, I say that for the podcast because then a new paragraph starts and it says the Women of Color Collective, Queer Caucus, Asian Pacific American Law Students Association, and other groups also adopted it. Period. Okay. Well, that's a very revealing and telling final sentence Two paragraphs, apparently. So if you start the sentence by saying campus groups that adopted the rule include, and then lists off the specific ones that you want to think are the primary backers of it, the Muslim groups, the African law students, and then end the paragraph, start a whole new paragraph and say, these other groups also supported it or adopted it. Well, you even use the same word. They used adopted. So why wouldn't they just say the groups that adopted it were and list them all in a big row? Because they want you to think that it's specifically a, a Muslim overlap. They want you to focus on the issue. Well, guess what, guys? It's not that simple. Women of color, queer caucus, Asian Pacific, law students, everybody, that's, and other groups. The point is that most people right now are very aware of what Israel's government actually is. And that's why many, many people support it. That's why even Berkeley schools are allowing Zionist free zones, right? But even the New York Post has to go so hard to make you think it's one way or the other. These people are ridiculous. Mainstream media, guys. Have you ever laughed harder? But today, just to show you again, I missed the uh, apartheid state that was trending. I wouldn't get an image of it, but it was also trending. These are trending right now. It comes and goes. But we've seen all sorts of these things trending, which you've never seen before. Gaza under attack, Zionism, apartheid state, Israel terrorism, or something like that. These are trending regularly. People see this. It's just like the vaccine conversation. It's just like the rest of it. People are seeing through the lies. And it's because of people like you, you listening right now, because of the fact that you talked to your neighbor yesterday, because of the fact that you posted that flyer a week ago, you are making the difference, guys. Don't stop trying to make a difference. We are changing things in real time. Now, and this is, it, this is shifting over into the Iranian part of this, but obviously you see that this is all interconnected, especially when you talk about Iran and Israel. But it says, this is Tim Anderson talking about the, the protests, in quotes. Washington drives yet another color revolution attempt in Iran, he writes, and the propaganda seems to work. So, as, many, so as, as so many Western suckers keep falling for it. Fortunately, the Iranian people are not so stupid. Now here is an article he links to. I mean, and he's, he's right, though. I, you can speak to anybody that's actually talking to these people, and then you'll find that most of them don't. They are There was a pushback early on about the discussion of the woman and women's rights. There was a small organic protest that does seem to have its roots in some real people, and it quickly died off. And then what? Then you see the MEK, the Kurds, and people like this with a CIA-backed effort driving this all just like every other time before it. Because anytime they see an opportunity, they jump in to try to use it because Iran has been a focus for a long time. Whether we're talking seven countries in five years, ending with Iran, which has been listed many times, or a thousand other agendas that are in play, we can see this. Now, this is from uh, um, Amayadine. Dirty money. Meet the U.S. agent, which it's not even a joke. Guys. She is literally working for the government, driving the CIA-led riots in Iran. As it reads here, operating from an FBI safe house. Not a joke. She has been living in the U.S. for the past decade, working as a full-timer for none other than the Voice of America Persia. <laughs> right. Washington's propaganda mouthpiece funded directly by the Broadcasting Board of Governors. A, a, a soft power arm of the empire fully funded by the u.s congress made to capitalize on harmful narratives in favor of washington's corporatocracy there she is as i showed you the other day standing next to pompeo because you know all the honest people love to stand next to we lie we cheat pompeo we steal we lie we we lie we cheat we steal pompeo but that's not all between 2015 and 2022 the u.s agency for global media paid her Al- Al-Niyad, maybe, <laughs> over $628,000 to har- harass veiled women, spew propaganda, this is their framing of it, and demand more sanctions against her country. A champion for imperialism, she is, in fact, on the CIA payroll to incite violence and lies. You can look this stuff up, guys. This is, she, she is literally paid by the government, and we're pretending like this doesn't matter? I mean, this is how transparent this stuff is today. Here is the article Robert wrote about this and gets into the Kurds being a huge push in this, the Kurds being a classic proxy force of the United States government and Israel. Iran's protests are no longer about women's rights. And I question really whether they even were to begin with. I know, the remember, don't forget the woman that they claim was beaten to death. The All the evidence shows that she died of a heart attack. That's why I argue, I will ask, was she vaccinated? Now, I'm not saying that we should assume that's always the case. It could just be a rant. Maybe she's had a heart attack. But that's a valid question in today's world, and we all know it. Random heart attack in the middle of some unknown place? Was it that? Certainly could ask. Because even the Iranian vaccine, despite the fact that they shunned the mRNA, still uses the spike protein. But the point is that it was she wasn't beaten. And yet that was the premise for the entire push. That she was tortured to death. Not true. Fake news. Like everything else that seemed to push out at you. Now, here, as Kai shares, is a clip that we played many times for you. A long time ago, by the way, back when this was actually spoken during Trump's administration. It's a clip of... Rudy Giuliani bragging about how sanctioning Iran is working you know why well because people are so they're starving so much they have to sell their organs for food I'll, I'll play it for you verbatim where he says this is how this is how good revolutions begin this is how you know it's working if we think for one second this is not exactly what it sounds like you're you you don't know their history they use sanctions to hurt the population so they revolt on their government the same country that claims to care so deeply about Iranian women Here's what he said.
10: So now tell me that you're not a serious threat.
6: It's the- oh, and he's talking to the MEK, by the way, a registered terrorist group until Hillary Clinton took them off the list. And by the way, undis- unequivocally extremist, to the, far more extremist than pretty much any group you could point at outside of some of the most extreme we talk about on the world stage. These people are are are. Controlling the sexual activity of those involved in their groups. These are, if I mean, even talking about women's rights, these people don't even remotely care about that. It, 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 it's all on the record. So how are you going to care about women's rights and then push MEK as a group that's going to take their place? It's all an illusion.
10: Tell me that you're not a serious threat. It's the regime we're trying to overthrow sees us as a threat. You are a threat. It is a reality. The protests are getting worse. I don't know when we're going to overthrow them. It could be in a few days, months, a couple of years, but it's going to happen. They are going to be overthrown. The people of Iran obviously have now had enough. The sanctions are working. The currency is going to nothing.
6: They're where. Wearing- Which again shows you that it's not because of Iran's government's malfeasance. They're actively destroying the currency. And we all should know that. A child can see through that. But, even, but when they actually are pushed to it, they go, no, it's because of Iran's incompetence. That's what they say. I mean, it's just, this is how childish it all is. And this is why I maintain that most people don't buy this stuff.
10: Russia was. They're where Poland was. We see signs of young men and women saying, give me some food. We saw a sign of a man trying to sell his internal organs for 500 American dollars. Probably a fortune in Iran today. This is truly pitiful. These are the kinds of conditions that lead to successful revolution. And God willing, nonviolent revolution.
6: <laughs> My God. Now think about how ridiculous this is, right? Think about the what, the what we're talking about here. I went too far. Hold on. Here we go. They, you know, so he's basically saying. So we we saw what we saw. This we saw these people trying to sell their organs for food. Okay. So, what are we ultimately talking about here? Was that happening before you sanctioned them? No. Were they food scarce before that? No. So you sanctioned them because of actions you wanted Iran to take that they didn't want to take. Nuclear nuclear deal, right? Which, by the way, they were never violating. They were only breaching it within the rules of the agreement because of U.S. actions. It's as simple as that. And they're still to this day. So he says, look at those people starving to death. That's how that's how this works. There, there's no misunderstanding this. Their actions led to those people suffering. He points at them suffering and says, "That's how you drive it. That's how you. That's the. That's how the. What how do you frame it? The the beginnings of a good revolution. There, it's one step, two step, three. They did this. It caused that. They think that will be a benefit to the people or to what they're accomplishing, and they frame that change as nece- a necessity for the people, even though we've seen to in the you know past that that's not even remotely what actually happens." Now, here are some good reading material if you want to understand Operation Ajax. You know, the illegal coup the CIA conducted in Iran, which put the Shah in power and left them in decades of poverty and, and, and suffering and pain, which is not everybody. You know, the elitists, like we see here, same thing. But it's exactly what we see happening in these countries that the U.S. government has occupied. Suffering and pain and destruction. And the benefit of the elitists at the top. From the Shahs to the CIA, the history of the Western intervention in Iran. Now, I recommend, by the way, you read this article from Robert about the women's rights protest because it goes back into the understanding of why these people would push back after this. The revolution that took back the country from Operation Ajax and the CIA is that people saw like wearing of the hijab, let's say, for women as a as a step back into their old traditions, as a way of pushing back the U.S. Western control of their lives. And so it became sort of a concept, right, about pushing back against Western control. So now, today, people look at it like some kind of repressive thing, and it's, in some ways it is, but it's, there's a mixed conversation here. So Americans have no, barely any understanding of what this is or any right to push their ideals on other people, which is always what happens and always what they pretend they're not really doing. But just understand that this has been a long process, and no country is perfect, you know, I don't think any government is perfect. In fact, I hope they all go away tomorrow. But in this case, we can see that they did take back their country, and the people did support that, and they support it to this day. And what's happening is control over that narrative. So there's part two to this as well. It's in the bottom. Here's another one. This one's from Matt Agris from uh, the the Free Thought Project. 65 years ago today, this was on August 19, 2018, the CIA conspired with the UK to overthrow Iran on behalf of big oil. Now, this uh, Corbett's recent documentary touches on this. And lastly, the path to Persia and the ongoing plot to destroy Iran. And This all gets into similar things from different perspectives. It's important to understand how this has led to today. And they're trying to do it all over again. Not hard to see. Now, let's talk about the Donbass referendum and what actually happened here, at least as far as we can tell, and how obscenely this is being misused and how they're over, you know, from the Nord Stream pipeline conversation, all of this. I mean, this is such a clumsy effort. Now, October 1st, this was today. Fox News, Russia withdraws troops from Lyman. Now, first, I wanted to look into this. And understand how this is happening and what actually happened, whether they really did pull back, whether or not this is some kind of overlap with the referendum and whether or not Ukraine was lying about the entire thing like they have about almost everything they've said. But it turns out this did actually happen. Now, we're going to talk about both parts of this, both the withdrawal of the troops, what that means, as well as the referendum, which seemingly everybody, including Fox News, is calling a land grab, an illegal referendum. You know, what did all the hundred plus observers say? Oh, completely up and up and fair and legal votes and everyone was doing. Uh, OK, so then why are they calling it fake and illegal? Because the U.S. says so. OK, was it proof? No evidence? No. OK, so they're just saying that sort of when Trump comes out and goes China virus and everybody just goes with that, even though we've seen everything change. Since then. This is a narrative control kind of thing. This is when you can clearly see the two party illusion as both CNN and Fox News have the same narrative. What a shock. It says Russia suffered another setback during Ukraine's counteroffensive, confirming it withdrew troops from the eastern town of Lyman within the newly annexed Donetsk region. Now, the way they're framing this as some kind of a win by Ukraine and setback, I don't think that's actually what happened. But it's hard to say because I don't think Russia would admit that they had been overtaken by Ukraine, even though that is actually kind of what the RT article says. I'll show you next. In any case, it's clear that they did leave the area and Ukraine has taken this area. That's important to understand. Now, here was Patrick Lancaster from the ground, which is who we should be going to, whether whatever side you think people are on. Look at all of them, but people that are actually there, not what the CNN and Fox News says Ukraine says is happening. That's stupid. But here is Patrick Lancaster. This goes back 15 hours, says Lyman has been taken by Ukraine, question mark. Leading Russian journalist Alexander Sadkov, quote, in Lyman... A lot is not what it seems. It's far from positive. I'm waiting for the official release. So interesting first step. So that's important to understand. It's not all what it seems. So there's already some kind of misrepresentation. I think that speaks to the idea of why Russia left and whether Ukraine was winning some victory or Russia pulled back for strategic regions and Ukraine took the territory and framed it however they wanted. But you could say that reverse, that Russia was overtaken and retreated under a claim of strategic retreat and said the opposite, right? I wouldn't trust either of them, but it seems there's more, always more to the story. But then he falls back up with a picture of Ukraine taking territory and says, it seems at least part of Lyman, if not all, has in fact been taken by Ukraine. This was 12 hours ago. Then he says, Russian media is in fact reporting Ukraine armed forces are in control of the, of the Kranzi-Lyman or Lyman. That's the territory we're talking about. Now I want to refresh real quick and see if there's been any updates. Doesn't look like it. So here's what RT is reporting about the area. Russian forces withdraw from key Donbass town. Troops left Lehman. Lyman, Lehman. This is the actual spelling, but then Ukraine changed it to just Lyman, L-Y-M-A-N. Due to the threat of encirclement, Moscow has confirmed. So they're claiming they were in, they saw an encirclement happening and they pulled back before anything could happen. So that does, seem, the, that does sound like Ukraine had the upper hand on this, but they're claiming as if they had some big battle victory, or at least that's how it's being framed. But it says Russian troops and Donbass forces have withdrawn from their defensive positions in the town, the Russian defense ministry confirmed. The move comes as Ukrainian forces mounted a large-scale offensive targeting the area. So it does seem that they have, you know, essentially won the day here. Quote, due to the emerging threat of encirclement, the Allied troops have withdrawn from the settlement of, of Pranzi Lehman, and deployed to more advantageous positions. So it's not necessarily a retreat. I mean, it is. Either way you spin it, they're pulling back and retreating. But it's a strategic, they claim, retreat that will, I would argue, continue forward on their agenda. Not that they're going to be continually pulling back. At least That's how they're framing it. The Ukrainian forces lost more than 200 soldiers, as well as five tanks and five infantry fighting vehicles during the attack. They claim, which who knows whether that stuff's ever true. Despite the losses, the Ukrainian command sent in reserves and reached, quote, considerable superiority in men and material in the direction of the attack, according to Russia. You know, see, I mean, it's interesting. That's just, that's not what you're used to hearing. They're saying, yeah, we basically lost. They, or we weren't prepared. They had more people, superiority in men and material. Therefore, we saw our disadvantaged position, we pulled back to a better position. That's the story. The news came a day after Russian President Putin signed treaties on the ascension of the DPR and the neighboring Lugansk People's Republic into Russia. That's what we're going to get into next, the referendum. The president also signed agreements on the ascension of the Russian-held Kherson and Zaporozhye regions, which includes the power the nuclear plant, and I think that's really the big focus here, whether it's being spoken or not, which declared independence from Ukraine. Which, by the way, we know this is what happened. Like, I don't even know how they're trying to pretend this was illegal when the collective Donbass region has already stood up in the beginning of all this and said, we declare independence, not Russia saying that. And this isn't Russia's referendum. This was done by the Donbass region. Now, sure, could it be possible Putin and Russia are pulling all the strings and it's a big illusion? Of course that's possible. But my God, do we ever need evidence for these people? Like, even when I talk about this stuff, I make sure I say that this is what I think or that's what I think or unless we can prove these things. But this comes, they just come out and say fake, like Bolivia's election was fake. No, it wasn't. Remember that one? Well, the US government screamed it was fake. And they lied and he cheated. And no, they didn't. It was actually proven by MIT that they didn't. And the US lied about that. And nobody followed up on that. And guess now they have a military junta in control. That's how that works they lie and get what they want. So in this case, it's very, very, very clear, at the very least, that the Donbass region very much so wants to be part of Russia. They're predominantly Russian speaking. They've been attacked for eight plus years by the Ukraine military, which is unbelievably easy to prove. So it's amazing to me that they're already trying to pretend this is fake because that's just what they do. They lie. But it says the four territories overwhelmingly voted in favor of joining Russia, all of them, in referendums held not by Russia, but by the Donbass region between September 23rd and the 27th. Ukraine and the Western nations refuse to recognize the results of the referendums, just like they do anywhere else with Venezuela, Bolivia, or any other election. Syria, they just go, fake, fake. Not what we want, so fake. How weird, isn't that exactly what they do inside this country? That is, that's what they do. Russia did it. No, it was Trump. Biden stole it or whatever. Every side says the same thing. Except when they point everywhere else, it's fake news when anybody else says it. (laughs) We are such a ridiculous place right now. And I shouldn't say that. The government is making it look that way. You guys see through it. But this is also an interesting part of this. Right after this happened, this is October 1st, Chechnyan leader on the side of Russia, at least, you know, the Chechnyan side, but ultimately I haven't sussed whether this is, like, I'm, I'm, I I'm. feel like I'm almost going to find out this is, isn't even actually what he said. It's very hard to find this out because all you can do is look at their source material and what they're claiming. But even if he did say it, I find it a very interesting statement. He says, and this is the leader, uh, Kodrov, Suggests that a low-yield nuclear strike after the Lehman defeat, which is how Disclosed TV and the corporate media are framing it, is in the annexed Donetsk region. So he's basically saying that we should use a low-yield nuke, so they're claiming, after that happened. I don't even know why, regardless of who's involved. it Put, put in any other characters in this situation. There's no li- strategic benefit here at all. Other than using bombs to kill people, So why would it have to be a low yield nuke? It's very suspicious to me that this is even the, the term nuke even comes up when they were just before this pushing the narrative that this is what Russia was about to do. I'm very suspicious about this, about whether this guy is actually on their side or whether this is even what he said or some kind of misrepresentation happening here. I'm not sure. Let's read into the next part of it. But I want you to, my gut tells me that this doesn't make sense whatsoever. Why there would be a need for this use. Everything about this is like Syria and chemical weapons attacks. It is a completely obvious thing that would be used by the other side to justify more action. You don't need a low low yield nuke to bomb the area. There are all sorts of bombs. And in fact, so you have plenty of, of munitions that might even have a larger field, essentially, then a low yield nuke that doesn't have the same effects. There's a lot of ways you could look at this. But here is the Newsweek coverage of this. Chechnya's Kadrov urges Putin to conduct nuclear strike after Lehman defeat. Now, I'm not, I actually, this individual in general, I understand Chechnya in general is supposed to be on the Russia side, but I'm not sure whether this person is truly on their side. Just from my, Just in general, I don't know. And I'm not sure whether this is going to maybe sh- expose that might not be the case. Just things I want people to think about. And yeah, someone's commenting low yield, right? It's such an insult to, her to pretend like low yield nukes mean anything different. This Remember, this Trump was the one that really drove this to the reality during his administration. Now, the point in why these are so almost more dangerous than regular nuclear weapons is because when they're used, the other side doesn't know they're low yield. They don't know that. That's one of the points that Putin actually made when this came out. We don't so if you launch a low yield, we have to operate as if you're launching a nuclear weapon. So either way you play this, it's the same idea. It's just an illusion to pretend like these are even usable. But here's what it says. Kadyrov, the head of Russia's Chechen Republic, on Saturday called on President Putin to use nuclear weapons. Now, that's not actually what he said. I'll read what the quote in Ukraine after Russia faced defeat. Again, it's, each, it's just very self-serving Western framing, of course. <clears throat> Putin launched his special operation on Ukraine on and on, hoping for a quick victory. However, Ukraine responded with a stronger... say all this stuff. It's like, that's not what actually happened. They're fr- because of this one move, they're acting like Ukraine's winning the war again. It's so embarrassing. Prevented by Russia, it says, experts have raised concerns that Putin's face... It. This is the point. Experts have raised concerns. I'm actually going to see what this even is. <laughs> experts. Okay, so a a retired admiral. So uh, a retired member of the military, expert apparently, has raised concerns. What is he an expert in exactly? Putin's mind? Predicting Putin's actions? (laughs) It's just stupid. They're claiming, they've raised concerns that Putin, facing mounting losses, again, which is, that's why they're using this framing, that's not what's actually happening, could turn to nuclear weapons. Like, it's just stupid. What would be the benefit of that? Destroying something you're trying to free? That's one framing. Destroying something you're trying to take over? Occupy? That's what they're framing it as. How does it even make sense? A nuclear weapon would be catastrophic. It is literally on his country's border. You see how stupid this is? I mean, my God, they think he's going to pretend. That's like U.S. bombing New Mexico with a nuclear weapon. It's stupid. And that's all they do is go because he's a maniac, right? Putin's crazy. Assad is crazy. They're just crazy madmen. That's all they can do. Because that's all they can, they need you to take it face value. This person will act irrationally, therefore anything's on the table. And the only people that actually say that are the U.S. government and Israel and the U.K. and people on their side. We won't say we won't launch nukes first. Well, everybody else seems to say we have a response to defense policy. Well, they all say we have the, we reserve the right to launch them first. These people are the crazy ones. Now, whether they're the U.S. people or the U.K. people, those people like that. The people that are truly guiding the Great Reset direction. Ukraine delivered their latest victory in Lyman, they say, forcing Russian troops to retreat. This is all the framing. That's none of what they're claiming has happened. Defense Ministry of of Russia claimed to retreat to more advantage line. That's all they said. And the rest of it is corporate media framing. Now, this guy, a Putin ally who has long supported the invasion, said Russian leaders should conduct a strike using low yield weapons on Ukraine. Now, I don't think that's what he actually said. Gosh, just citing their own articles. Here's what he says, I don't know what the RF Ministry of Defense reports to the Supreme Commander-in-Chief, but in my personal opinion, more drastic, measures, more drastic measures should be taken up to the declaration of martial law in the border areas and the use of low-yield nuclear weapons. So uh, the, the the way they frame it is, he says we should use nukes or low-yield nukes. That's not actually the way he said it said It's important to include the context, which they do, but most people don't get that. The report becomes Russia is wants to use nukes. That's how that's being translated to the average person on Twitter. Well, first of all, this is a guy in a different country who's not in the at the war table with Putin here, who's speaking up of his own accord to the media, which is suspicious to me and saying they should use nuclear weapons or martial law. Well, I don't know about this and I'm going to dig more into this. The bottom line is this is the conversation they're using to float the idea that this dangerous nuclear rhetoric coming from Putin Well, did he even say that? Well, no. So they're just lying to you, like always. Well, here's my point before. This was posted on the 30th. <clears throat> this is from none other than a writer for the Jerusalem Post. Shocker. Well, it's interesting that on the 30th, they were already floating the idea that they were building some kind of nuclear weapon effort. And then suddenly, right after that, this guy stands up on the 1st and says, we should use nuclear weapons. That's pretty suspicious. Well, here's what it says. Israeli intelligence, apparently from their own image satellites. Yeah, I trust that like I trust... (laughs) I mean, my God, guys! Why would the, this is about as trustworthy as what the tabloid says about Elvis's baby? This is ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying it's false. I don't know, but how often Israeli intelligence lies about Iran's boats that they told Bolton about, which turns out to be literally nothing that carried off all of this crazy stuff? This is what happens: they lie. They lie all the time about nuclear weapons. They lie about what's what going on in Iraq or going on in Syria. What about like Maxar Technologies? The CIA cut out the same thing with Ukraine. So here we are, the day before the argument comes out, and they go, they detected an irregular presence of Russian boats and bombers deployed to the airbase here. The base houses a significant number of military hardware, including nuclear weapons. weapons. Well, first of all, how would we know that for sure? right? Well, the argument is that that base has them. It's a Russian base, so I'm not sure why they would know that for sure. But on top of that, just because there are weapons there, there's probably... You realize how many wet bases the US government has around the world? More than literally anybody. More than most of them combined. And most of these also have weapons like this. So anytime they move things to these bases, should we go, oh my god, they're about to use nukes? That's about as stupid as this is. Okay? So the day before... And then suddenly they go, we should use nukes. And now suddenly that's the argument being used to float the idea that this is a dangerous situation. And I'll play it in a second. Even NATO is going, dangerous nuclear rhetoric. It's frustrating. Well, here, is pointing out, Putin signed agreements on the ascension of the DPR, the LPR, the Donbass region collectively, as well as the Zaporozhye and Kursan regions to Russia. He frames this as, we are witnessing the biggest geopolitical defeat in the West civilized society, political elites, elitists, in history, in newer history. It's a weird way to write that, but understand whether or not you think that's the reality, because trust me, I can't not see the larger agenda at play here from the idea that the North Stream pipeline being shut down works toward the Great Reset or the idea of any number of things. You know, you can see the larger picture here. So every action continues to drive us in the same direction. So I have a hard time feeling like these people are actually at odds in the larger game. But understand Regardless of whether that's the truth or not, this perception is out there, and they understand that. So you have Western leaders who understand that this is perceived, whether or not that's what happened, as a huge political defeat. So you have to think about how that would then drive action, even if it's not the truth. So here's how it's being framed, right? This is a big defeat for the Western political agenda. And here, of course, is how all of the corporate media covers it. Associated Press, Putin illegally annexes. I mean, do you realize how stupid it is for them to already come out and say this the day it happens? Despite the fact that there was 100 plus international observers, despite the fact that they couldn't... How how, how to possibly know that? Did they prove this? They just say that because they know they're supposed to if and when this happens. Because there's no way this is legal. There's no way they could do this because we know they don't support Russia. Well, they do. I don't even know if they actually think that, but that's the, what they're supposed to think. But here they are, just illegal. And then, of course, we all get to it in a minute. We know, and this is exactly what we said, Ukraine is seeking NATO entry. Fast ex- expedited, too. Didn't they say that would never happen? Didn't they swear that was never a line they would cross? And that's one of the reasons Putin said this is happening. And then after they swore up and down, it was never even off the, on the table. It ha- starts to happen. You know why? Because it was always on the table and that was always part of the plan. And that's what we need to understand. Here's the New York Times. Illegally, Putin moves to illegally declare four regions of Ukraine part of Russia. No, he didn't. The Donbass region initiated a referendum. They voted and they want to be part of Russia and Russia acknowledges that. That's how you actually frame what happened. Now, of course, Russia could have played a role in that. Or you can go even further and say Russia Russia could have orchestrated all of it. I'm always open to any possible perspective, but you know what I need is evidence of that. And what we do have is a lot of evidence to the contrary of what they're arguing. Here's even Fox News. Putin announces annexation of four Ukrainian territories after sham referendums. Remember, I just pointed this out the other day. They said the same thing right when it started. Sham votes and everything else while it was happening. I mean, these writers, even themselves, will be writing this going, "Well, I know I don't know this for sure. (laughs) I just don't care. How stupid is that? Well, here's somebody who is actually there. Vanessa Beely, on the ground. Of course, it's so embarrassing, someone like Craig Murray pushing back on all this. He clearly lost himself through all this COVID-19 madness. But as she wrote, every single one of the 133 international observers reported, and you can find this for yourself. And the point is, just like with Venezuela, same thing happened with the Venezuela election for Maduro. Every single one of them and in Venezuela, even included people like, uh, um, I'm blanking his name all of a sudden, former U.S. president. In any case, 133 international observers in this case for, for the referendum here reported that the referendum was fair. No violations reported. We covered all Donbass territories and many refugee areas in Russia. Murray in Scotland knows better. The point is, guys, how can you tr- ignore 133 international observers, many from countries that you would argue have a reason not to trust Russia, that are there observing a fair referendum with no violations? And the only thing we get is corporate media talking heads that weren't there yelling what they're told to say by people controlling what they're right. Well, I should, I, that's what I think. Yelling what, the, what, the, what they think is happening without any evidence. Has any one has of these outlets proven that was illegal. No, they're just citing people like Zelensky and people on the Ukraine side saying that. That's it. I can't even believe it's become this ridiculous. It's it's always been bad, but this has got completely childish. Here is Eva Bartlett, someone else on the ground, actually speaking to people. Take a look at this, and you're gonna like this is people responding to the question. Now these are in, uh, you know, their subtitles, so I'm just gonna play it right here. Uh, the boy- it says. Do you think that Donbass is occupied by Russia? Look at his reaction. He says, no, how could it be occupied if we ourselves want to be in Russia? No. That's only one person, sure. But these people are real. More Donetsk people I spoke with yesterday. Don't understand, you could, I hope you will question this. But if you just dismiss it because it's not what you're told, that's ignorance in its purest form. Because these are real people. And also realize, and I know this, but you shouldn't trust this, but Eva Bartlett, Vanessa Bealy, they are going around objectively and speaking to anybody that will talk to them. And this is what they're seeing. Quote, I watched President Putin's speech, and I'm very glad that we have become part of Russia. I really hope that at last they will stop bombing us. In the ninth year of this comical hell, we are very tired of all this.
0: He says, well, yes, this is the logical conclusion of the movement.
6: I really hope that something will change.
0: What do you think about the referendum?
6: Everything was fine. No one was forced anyone. Those who didn't want to go, didn't go. Whoever wanted to, well, it should be general. Now, you know, that's, di- I mean, you, of course, she could be lying, but there's a, a 133 observers. is not what happened what, or what she said is what happened. The point though, is that the opposite of that is what we already saw when Ukraine was in control. Authoritarian, totalitarian force in every possible way, especially if you're Russian speaking. For crying out loud, they openly called them Muscovites. They are calling them a, a a derogatory term, and we're gonna pretend like those Russian people want to be part of them? I mean, this is just the dumbest thing ever. I mean it's insulting. <laughs> Now, I mean, I'll go, I'm going to go forward. You guys can watch all these for yourself. Here's another one. A woman I met yesterday in Donetsk asked her opinion about joining Russia. We've all been waiting for this a very long time. We waited a long time, and we finally are home. So happy we finally joined Russia. And that's what it says right here. We all wanted to and aspired to join Russia since the ascension of Crimea. Because all these are predominantly Russian-speaking areas. Now, you could easily argue there's places within Ukraine that aren't predominantly Russian-speaking that might not want this. That absolutely. But it's a no brainer to see why this is obvious. And again, they have nothing but statements to argue this was a, a, a sham. Now, here is a, a action from uh, RT, I believe at the U.N. Security Council, he writes a resolution to condemn Russia over its referendum in Donetsk and Lugansk to come under Moscow's umbrella fails after China, Brazil, India, Gabon refuse to vote with NATO proxy countries. That is what it looks like to see a shifting narrative or a shifting over perce- I mean, Overton window. How are you going to look at it? Brazil, India—these are groups that are not supposed to be on the side of Russia, in, at least in the context of the the larger geopolitical game. Interesting, isn't it? The point is that people can see through this, guys. And I don't. And I, at some level, there's vying agendas. It's not all about whether they think it's right or wrong. But I think people see a shifting control, power, the failing influence of the West. Now in disclosed tv reports just in u.s announces severe new sanctions on hundreds of russian officials and their family members right because that's what honest people do right you financially attack the family members of politicians when a election goes against what you like right think about how embarrassing this is from biden's perspective as he's attacking republicans for taking action against them for stealing an election so now They attack them for not doing that. They're literally becoming what they claim the Republicans are. That's what they are right now. They are attacking an election that was fair and honest and observed as such, or excuse me, a referendum, because they don't like it. And they even go as far as to economically attack the people that were involved. That is what a, it's my ball, I'm going home action looks like. Now here is what Patrick Lancaster is pointing out as this is going on. Russia told Ukraine not to attack the area. Now, heads up, guys. This is a little bit graphic, as as most of this tends to be. So if you've got children watching, just be aware of that. He says, Russia told Ukraine not to attack the area that had the referendums after the referendums, or the hammer would be dropped. People are right now, or at the time when this was going on, this was the first, today, but earlier, right now being killed across the referendum areas by Ukraine shelling. So, So the argument is that they don't want to be part of Russia, And that's why Ukraine is murdering them, right? Everything's that obvious right now, guys. Donetsk today, across the city, is being hit. What is Russia going to do now? His argument because they said they would do something about it, they might have a response to this. But realize they've already been doing this, right? They've already been bombing the the area in the middle of the center of the town, the middle of the the civilian area, the, the town square of Donetsk. Not a front line. And it's been unbelievably proven. From I mean, any journalist on the ground that's honest has been showing this. And yet, we act like they want to be part of this place that is actively targeting them? Well, Zelensky said Ukraine was formally applying for fast-track membership of NATO. Exactly what they said would never happen. This is why this is all happening, because this was always part of it, guys. This picture is classic. I'm, I'm probably going to use this in the future. Here's Zelensky signing this this fast track nato application <laughs> it was like this should this will be a, this should be a meme forever my my thought is like zelensky g- touch your ear if you're being hurt right are you in, are you in danger are you okay <laughs> right these guys next to him was like look at them. this is it's an, it's an, it's kind of hilarious isn't it uh, the, are these azov movement controllers are these handlers by the cia like this is hilarious this guy is not the leader. I mean, we saw that with the Azov movement that made fun of him when they came to try to shut it down. This guy's a puppet, and everybody knows it. So these two people, like, it's just, it's hilarious to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's right there. It just, it cracks me up. Like, you know, show me on the bear where you've been touched. Right. That's what it feels like to me. Like this guy's in danger. He's, he's, and he probably is. He's probably the next one under the bus. The moment this goes the other way, he'll be the, he'll be, he'll be Osama bin Laden right out the, right out the side of the door. Or that's where this goes. Just like the rest of the puppets. Right. But the point is he's signed the application. It's already going forward. And even Biden steps up and makes an, a threat about this. Before we point that out though, guess what this person's arguing as they reference some video of the Nord Stream pipeline, which at the at the, I, the only person that seems to have no benefit like to pretend this was Russia is as stupid as anything we've talked about today in regard to like the other dumb things the governments are doing right it's just ridiculous to pretend this is this is I mean remember even what leaked cost them like 800 million dollars just what came out in these bubbles it, it's absurd to pretend this is anything and as we've seen the U.S. government openly threaten Newland Biden oh we have ways of stopping it oh we have our ways that's actual actual quote but this person says Russia destroys German infrastructure, which it wasn't German infrastructure because that's how smart people are. But Article Five should be triggered. Let's talk about NATO, guys. Right. So the same thing was triggered in regard to you know the idea of like the the post nine eleven world, right? So we want to we want to initiate the world military. Yeah, exactly. That's probably where this is going. One nation's attack, we're all attacked, right? Well, it's interesting they do that when we're talking about. In the context of all of this, it's I, I think that's where this is all going. That's why we're talking about him signing, the, pulling himself into NATO. And here's what Biden actually said. This is on the 30th. Speaking directly to Putin. Like, like this just seems like right out of some bad mo- TV movie.
2: I want to say this again. America is fully prepared with our NATO allies to defend every single inch of NATO territory. Every single inch. So, Mr. Putin... Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Every inch.
6: Well, if he doesn't stutter so much, we might be able to have a better job. Op- no, I'll, I'll let it go.
2: And I have to be, I've been in close touch with, uh, with our uh, allies. Uh, <laughs> we're announcing uh, new sanctions today as well. That including new authorities to sanction anyone who provides political or economic support to Russia's fraudulent territorial claims. And I've been in close touch with our NATO allies who are united in our resolve to take on his aggression.
6: Interesting that NATO is now a focal point, right? Is that because they are pretending without evidence that he's going to take over the rest of the world, even though he's already shown not to be in the interest of taking over all of Ukraine, which is what they claimed was going to happen for sure, right? Or is it because they're already under the assumption that he's going, that Ukraine will be part of NATO soon, therefore they're setting the threat the threats already, right? Biden, are you in danger? Touch your face if you're in danger. We're
2: announcing uh, new sanctions today as well, that
6: including oh, the authorities to... I think he's in danger. Well, let's keep going. Here's the point. They are already planning all this, right? All This has already been part... And this this is what Russia was claiming, and now it's impossible to miss. You can't pretend like this just acts... Like, they swore up and down it wasn't going to happen, and now it is happening, but we weren't going to do it then, but we changed our minds now. That's always how they play this. Always. It's happening now because this was always the plan. It's very easy to see. Here's NATO speaking up in the same way, even referencing the dangerous nuclear rhetoric that didn't even come from Putin.
1: We call on President Putin to end the war. Uh, he is responsible for starting the war and he has uh, the responsibility to end the war. Uh, because uh, uh, if uh, Russia stops fighting, there will be peace. If uh, uh, Zelensky and Ukrainians stop fighting, Ukraine will cease to exist as an independent nation.
6: So, not speak. I mean, none of this is true, though. This is all narrative, right? I mean, the, the bottom line is there's an, an entire area of this that's not being discussed. What about the eight years of of murdering people in these occupied or in these territories that are Russian-speaking, right? Well, I mean, it's all, in my opinion, occupied by puppet forces by the U.S. government when I mean, they overthrew the country. But the point is, these areas here are not. The Donbass region specifically is what we're talking about, as Eva Bartlett has been covering, has been bombed and attacked and ethnically cleansed for a very long time to protect. And on top of that, we know that they were encroaching on Russian territory. We know that they were working inside of Ukraine. We know that they were trying to, as we're now seeing, bring NATO, Ukraine to NATO. All of these were stated and openly discussed red lines for Russia. Every one of them and every one of them were happily passed, acting like nothing was going on. If anyone was even gotten close to by Russia, the US government would lose their minds, as we've seen many times. So it's childish and hypocritical. So it's not that this is, a, and that Ukraine stopped fighting, it'll be the end of Ukraine. Where is Russia showing that they want to take over all of Ukraine? That's not what's happening. The fight came because of the occupied territories and what they're trying to accomplish with their fascist Nazi en- entities. At the very least, that's what Putin's actions are now showing. You could argue he changed his mind and he wanted to overthrow the world. <laughs> the bottom line, though, is you can see what's happening. What about the false flag he was supposed to conduct that was going to change it? Right? I mean, they had so many narratives that fell by the wayside. We just keep trusting. Some people keep trusting what they say next. we
1: about, in a way, two equals. We have an aggressor, uh, Russia, and we have a country which is uh, 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 the victim of aggression, <laughs> uh, Ukraine. Uh, And that's also the reason why uh, we are so clearly supporting uh, Ukraine. Uh, We uh, the illegal annexations of of of, uh, Ukrainian territory.
6: I mean, either this guy is a puppet absolutely through and through or he's just, or he's too stupid to know. But there's no evidence of that. Right. Everyone right now arguing it's an illegal referendum is completely just regurgitating what someone told them. There is no evidence to that whatsoever. And even if they pump, which they guarantee they will pump out some garbage, probably from Israeli's intelligence or whatever they do before. Here's some CDs that prove what we say. It's always childish kind of thing, like with the bomb picture he wrote. And here's where they're going to, Iran's going to get bombed. They'll put something out. But I I, I will happily make fun of it when it comes out and show you how stupid it is. Because this is clear, in my opinion, based on the evidence we have. I shouldn't say it like that, because if it does show something, of course I'll report it to you. And if it proves out to be a, a fake referendum, I'll report that to you. But just realize that at a time we don't have evidence, people are already saying what they want you to think, which is always how the U.S. government operates.
1: changed the nature of this war. It remains a war of aggression by Russia against Ukraine. And of course, what we have seen over the last uh, weeks or days is uh, the most serious escalation of this conflict since the invasion on the 21st of February. Because we have the combination of um, the uh, mobilization in Russia combined with the reckless, dangerous nuclear rhetoric.
6: Okay, so he's talking about the discussion of Putin bringing up, I think it was like 300,000 reservists. Well, they are in the middle of of a conflict, clearly, and they are being openly propagandized and economically attacked by everybody in the West. So there's clearly some conflict happening. So it's not out of the question to bring more people up. Like, the argument that they're, like, why, why don't they frame all of the U.S. troop movements and all the European troop movements and everything that's happening around Ukraine as the same thing? Because we have to, our, the U.S. has been sending money and weapons and people like crazy over this process. But Putin just, can't. you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just such a hypocritical framing. Now, that combined with what? The nuclear rhetoric from somebody that's not like... So anybody that's even uh, abstractly connected to him at some other location even mentions the possibility of a nuclear weapon. Therefore, Putin's nuclear rhetoric. The point is they don't want... People won't look past that. He'll say it. The guys will say it on Fox News and CNN. And the point is the person watching at home is going to take it face value that Putin talked about nuclear weapons. And that's how it gets left. Stupid.
1: And then uh, today's illegal uh, annexation or attempt to annex.
6: Okay, so 300,000 people being re- removed up in reserves in case they need to use them, a not illegal referendum that was observed by many people, and a other another person that's not at Putin's war table, whatever you want to frame that, making a statement about no low nukes. And this is the largest escalation since the beginning of the war? <laughs> really? That's all they have? How embarrassing.
1: Uh, parts of uh, ukraine together this is the most serious escalation of the conflict since the start Um, and the aim of president putin is to deter us from supporting ukraine
6: you realize that the only action in all of that is a fair referendum they're calling illegal one is the potential bringing up of troops that aren't being used at the moment as far as i understand it and the other is somebody else making a comment about nuclear weapons uh, that combined with a referendum is the biggest escalation of the war since the beginning. Clearly, they want that to be the case. That's not what's happening. So we should be ready for some kind of action from their side. because I don't see other, I don't understand why else they'd be driving this kind of hyperbolic narrative of like, you know, it's building right now and it's getting serious when it's very clearly not.
1: But he will not succeed in that. The message from NATO allies and from partners is that we will continue to support. The United States just announced today more support. Uh, and I spoke also with the other leaders over the last.
6: I assume he means Ukraine. Weird he didn't want to say that. Got to continue support and the U.S. said support of Ukraine. Yes. It's interesting that, that they didn't say that. Is how he's uh, tra- signing up right now for NATO.
1: Just a few days, and uh, NATO leaders and they all have the same message we need to stand united, we need to provide support uh, to uh, to Ukraine because this is, of course, in the interest of Ukraine and that we help them to defend themselves, but it's also in our interest that we uh, ensure that President Putin doesn't win because if he wins, ah. the message is that uh, authoritarian powers like Russia can use military force and then achieve their goals, and that will make the whole world more dangerous.
6: Right, exactly like the U.S. government's demonstrated all over the world, like Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan. Right? How is that not the same thing? I mean, really, how is that not exactly using military force to achieve your goal? I mean, that's exact—you can argue it's one's good, one's bad. That's pretty childish. But the bottom line is using military force in exactly the same way. And the, but it's interesting is we can't let them win because that would set a message. Okay. Well, he just laid it bare for everybody. They're in this forever. They can't let Russia be perceived to win. And that's why they're attacking the referendum so heavily because it's perceived as a loss. They can, that, that at least that's a stated narrative. So they're telling you this is not about saving Ukrainians. This is about stopping Russia. Well, there you go, guys. We've always been telling you that. That's the reality. Oops. I forgot it. I, pull myself back because I want to show you the the image there. I keep doing that. I bring up my videos, then I bring it back too far down the the show here. Where were we? Here we go. Okay, so next, to finish off the segment in regard to Ukraine specifically in the referendum, here's Kit Knightley making an excellent point, which is kind of what I was saying in the beginning. He says, good news for the people of eastern Ukraine. After the annexation by Russia, they don't have to worry about being forced to eat bugs, vaccine mandates, or central bank digital currencies. Oh, wait. Right. Exactly. Those all those all still happen because you Russia is all still very clearly tied up in the direction of the Great Reset. So it's not as simple as good guy, bad guy. It never really is, is it? Even if you can argue and clearly see that in the case of Donbass, that the Russian government is at the very least observing and accepting what they want, regardless of what the their you know, you can argue what their government wants whereas clearly Ukraine and U.S. government don't care what the Donbass region wants. But does that ultimately amount to them being on your side? What does that even mean? What we can clearly see is that these governments and all of their actions, whether by intention, intentional or not, are leading you in the direction of the Great Reset. Period. So we need to ask ourselves whether that is the overarching point and all of this is just context and discussion or... It's some kind of manipulation on their actions by some outside force. I ultimately don't know. My gut tells me that they're all in lockstep to this, guys. Clearly. And here's a point that that adds to that to finish this segment. Disclosed TV reports today. On top of everything else, Nord Stream and everything else, guess what? Russia's Grazprom, which is their big company, oil and, and energy company, suspends gas transit through Austria. Okay, you see my point? Now, I understand from a geopolitical standpoint, based on what's happening, why you would use the control of the flow of this energy to it's like it's like U.S. government sanctioning Russia. It's The same thing in reverse. They're using the tools economically that they have in their power to to, you know, drive action or stop them from doing something. However, again, even though that makes sense from a geopolitical wartime situation, what does it all drive us toward? It continues to co- create the energy crisis. It continues to drive people in the need for a new solution. We can see it all going in the same direction. So if we see that, we need to simply understand that that may be, by design or not, all still driving you toward the Great Reset. And that is all that truly matters, in my opinion, about the, where the... I mean, if the Great Reset truly happens in the way they want it to, none of this matters. I don't mean to say that people's lives don't matter. But what I mean is the where this is going... In, getting in the ins and outs of all the, the back and forth about what countries and their, their political divides ultimately means nothing if they can accomplish what they're doing. And I think that might be the point. But just a thought, we need to remain objective. That's important. Now, to fit before we go over to the COVID-19 point of this, I thought it was really important. I wasn't sure where this fit in, other than in between all of this, especially since I do believe, I mean, if I was going to do more of a transhumanist part of the show today, this is where that would fit in. But here is the Post-millennial, September 30th, Newsom signs bill to allow minors from other states to receive medical tr- gender transitions without parental consent. I, don't, I I mean, this kind of thing makes my skin crawl. Not because you can't, you should, you, there, you should there shouldn't be, not that there's not an argument to be made about individuals, minors or not, having a say over what they want to do with their bodies. I disagree with that, but sure, we can have an argument about that because I do understand a point coming from, you know, the right over your own body. But why I strongly disagree with that is because I understand the fact that minors, even even other laws and discussions from the same point of their governmental perspective, like alcohol, tobacco, joining the military, driving a car, we understand that they don't have the mental capacity to make certain choices until a certain point. You've all, you've all heard this before. So it's frustrating and it's in, in, in unnerving to watch the government just remove that discussion from anything that pertains to medically altering your body. I believe this overlaps with the transhumanist agenda. I've made that argument many times. Regardless of that, you have children who aren't even allowed to smoke a cigarette or drive a car, join the military, are being allowed to make per- un- irrevocable medical choices to change their body forever. I don't know why we think this is okay or why we think people like Gavin Newsom have the right to just write this down and make things like this happen. This is one of the, and this is right up there with me with the bioengineering direction. This is horrifying because of how wrong this is. Now, again, I will reiterate, even from a minor perspective, I could have the conversation about why they might have a say in regard to how they would change their direction of what they want to do. And that will be the parents' decision about whether they're being influenced by school or trends or drag, score, tra- drag queen story time. Right. That's the child part of it. But from an adult perspective, 18 or older, whatever. Of course, I my opinion is you have a right to do with whatever you want with your own body, whether or not you end up regretting it. It's your body. I will always stand by that. I will call you whatever you want, to be quite honest, as long as you don't force me. Because I can respect respect people. You want to you want to change change your name to Fred tomorrow? I'll call you Fred. I don't care. I know people make a political point about that. I'm not going to call her a woman. I don't really care, to be quite honest. It's you could do what you want. Because the moment you begin to force that on other people, that's where that's a problem for me. So this bill, SB 107, is straight up circumventing the law because they believe, that, or at least they claim they believe this is right. This is where we are in the world today, at least in the U.S. government, where they have created just that you can. The law only matters insofar as it doesn't challenge our political beliefs, right? That's how this is working. Here's what it says. On Thursday, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law a piece of legislation that will designate the state as a sanctuary for children and teens seeking medicalized gender transitions. Oh, yeah, that's right. I just went to the actual thing. Here it is. SB 107, gender affirming health care. Now, this is weird the way it frames it, too. It says this bill would prohibit a provider of health care. A healthcare service plan or a contractor from releasing medical information related to a person or entity allowing a child to receive gender-affirming health care or gender-affirming mental health care in response to a criminal or civil action, including a foreign subpoena based on another state's law that authorizes a person to bring a civil or criminal action against a person or entity that allows a child to receive gender-affirming health care or gender affirming mental health care. So they start they, that paragraph starts out with the point that basically there are there protecting themselves from civil action, lawsuit, criminal action against them for for letting this happen to a child, even though it goes against other states' laws or the parents' desire. So do you, why would you need to legally protect yourself if you were doing the right thing? Think about that, first of all. The bill, well, I'm sure you could make an argument for that, but the bill additionally would prohibit, it says, law enforcement agencies from knowingly making or participating in the arrest or extradition of, individ, of an individual pursuant to and out-of-state arrest warrant based on another state's law against providing, receiving, or allowing a child to receive gender-affirming health care or aff- gender-affirming mental health care in the state as specified. How is that even legal? It's not, I think. I mean, think of what you're saying. So so any governor could just write a law that says, well, this is the law, but because we think this is okay, we're just going to write a bill that says you can't do this now. Really? Like, wh- why, wh- What's the difference of them writing a bill like this about child trafficking? And just simply going, well, we know that state says it's illegal, but or like pedophilia. And they just go, well, we're going to say that, well, you are not allowed to enforce it. You're not allowed to arrest them if they do. And you're not allowed to move the child back to that state if they get caught. That's essentially what they're writing right there. That's disgusting. Now, I'm not saying the idea of what the practice is. I do actually think that's wrong personally. But at the end of the day, an adult has the right to make that choice. The idea of writing a law that allows a child to do it on their own and even protects them legally, if you believe that's legal, I don't think it is, by writing on paper that the other state has no right to do what their laws say, or how about just federal law? How about the fact that you're doing something? I mean, there's so many ways to take this, but this is the kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's a bill, but the kind of unilateral action we see from these kind of leaders. It says existing law known as the Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction Enforcement Act provides a state. Just seeing what the acronym was, doesn't look like anything. Provides the state exclusive jurisdictional basis for making an initial child custody determination. Cool. So can I write in there too that I get to decide the next president? Or can I just write down what I want to happen tomorrow? Or is he just going to write down that we have the right to decide about child's destiny? Why? Because you wrote it down? And permits a California court to assume temporary emergency jurisdiction in specified circumstances. So you're writing a bill that says that you can decide the determination of the custody of a child that has parents over that state because the parents don't agree with the gender transition. And permit the court to assume emergency jurisdiction because of that situation. I mean, this is just this is. Lawless. This is literally, even just because it's a bill and written down doesn't make it lawless. This is just writing down something that challenges every other situation because you've decided politically that this is the right thing. The bill would prohibit the enforcement of an order based on another state's law authorizing a child to be removed from the parent or guardian based on that parent or guardian allowing their child to receive gender-affirming health care or gender-affirming mental health care. That's the first part. The last part's where it gets into the main title. But understand, first of all, before the idea of the state, this is, I understand that if a state votes these people in under the illusion that that's actually democratic, that they're actually representing what people want and the vote actually makes their, allows them to be put in position, that all those caveats aside, that those people then pass bills and they vote on it within the Senate. And okay, so that law supposedly went through the Democratic process. Now that, ha- I don't understand how you can do that in California and have any effect on a child in another state that is not allowed to. Transit state transit state lines without parental, without a parent accompanying them, you can't. The child can't just run to another state and then be basically protected by this law that was voted on by people in California. You see what I'm saying? Like that's so off the rails. But then, so the first part it says a bill would prohibit the enforcement of an order of another state's laws authorizing a child to be removed from their parents for allowing this. So basically the state basically saying a state would they're saying that you can't come in and say that they allowed it. Therefore, I'm going to take that child away. But here's the next part. This is the craziest part. The bill would authorize a court of law to take temporary jurisdiction because a child has been unable to detain, obtain gender affirming health care. This literally says that a court of law could take control of this child simply because they weren't allowed to do something that their parent that their parents said they couldn't do. Why, wouldn't you, why can't you just write a law that says that about anything else? You could, right? And that would be just as ridiculous. The bill would additionally prohibit a court from considering the taking or retention of a child from a person who has legal custody of the child if the taking or retention was for obtaining gender-affirming health care or mental health care. So basically, the state of California now is able to take in rogue children, whether or not they've got parents or, or guardians, who just want to come over and alter their bodies for the rest of their lives because they saw it on TV, because their neighbors thought it was cool, because people in their classroom were talking about it as a normal thing. And maybe they wake up one day and go, oh, wait, that was just a, a trend. Like when I was six, I wanted to be a fireman. Now, I'm not trying to diminish what real, but people that truly have an issue and truly want to do this as adults go through. What I'm saying is it's obvious that children are influenced by trends. And we know we can see that happening with this today. So this is disgusting to me. What they're doing is wrong in every sense of the word. Now, one thing that would be used in a lot of this discussion, especially surgery, especially with things like this, is potential blood transfusions and, you know, using blood in surgery. Well, doesn't that seem to quickly overlap with the concern about, you know, blood that might have spike proteins or mRNA or any other dangerous things that are very clearly part of what's happening today? Well, we're going to talk about that because of a new study that just came out adding to the discussion. But I find it concerning when we see the the picture of that young baby that had a blood transfusion and died a few days later, horrifically, that we can see the overlap there happening with people like this as well. Just so we can start off so we don't forget, here's what the Red Cross actually just said. This was on September 13th. And by the way, they're provably wrong about this. And I'll show you. They were asked, do you label the difference between the bloods, vaccinated and unvaccinated? They said, we don't label blood products As containing vaccine or a vaccine of blood. Why? Well, because the COVID vaccine does not enter the bloodstream. That's not true. Provably not true. And poses no safety risk. That's also blatantly not true. But this is them holding on to narrative, right? This is fake. It's wrong. It's incorrect. Now, here is an interesting point that I'm going to make a couple points about before we finish the blood discussion. As Massey points out in regard to the Amtrak vaccine mandate, this is really just mysticism, disproven myths, and superstition. Right? That or or, you know, trust the science and or what is it, TMC or trademark, TM trademark? Not the actual science, but the capitalized the science trademark. That's that's the illusion of what we're talking about. But before we go forward, think about that as the idea that they're simply saying it does not enter the bloodstream, because that's what the narrative was supposed to be two years ago this is supposed to be a scientific institution at the very least guided by science if they're doing blood transfusion or rather just you know convalescent blood and plasma and right they need to understand this but yet they don't care don't know don't care don't want to know but here's what thomas massey called out the amtrak ceo for maintaining vaccine mandates at a time when they know it doesn't make any sense
11: Gardner, can you uh, describe to me the state of Amtrak's vaccine mandate program? So uh, we have a uh, general mandate for vaccine for new workers. And so uh, are you aware that the efficacy of the vaccine wears off after six months? Quite a bit. Uh, So
6: I'm going to let it play through after this. I'm not going to jump in some of this. I I don't agree. It's like it's not six months, guys. First of all, three months. And it already goes negative, according to the Pfizer's data. Negative 75% efficacy at the level of whatever Omicron is from Pfizer's injection. That's the reality. On top of that, it's dangerous from day one, as we've seen very clearly. But just again, I'll let him play this out, but it's really just about the illusion of the whether or not it actually stopped transmission and they're still just doing stuff with it anyway.
11: Well, I think depending on which vaccine and what time and, and what period, certainly the vaccines have, let me give you an answer. efficacy. but we require new employees right. as they come to. The let me company. give you, let me ask you a question. If somebody got the first initial doses of the vaccine 20 months ago, would that comply with your vaccine mandate? Yes, as they were vaccinated. Do you believe two doses 20 months ago has any effect on the currently circulating variants of the virus? Uh, From from what I understand from the public health, I do believe (laughs) vaccines have a beneficial effect on public health and the individual. You you believe a COVID vaccine two years ago, that was taken 20 months ago, that targeted a variant that is no longer circulating, has an effect on preventing the spread of COVID now? Can you give me some scientific basis for that? Because I think it's based in mysticism, disproven myths, and superstition. And in fact, I'm glad you mentioned public health and what we know about public health. The CDC this summer said that after eight months, that the effectiveness of of three doses is somewhere between 20 and 0% against the currently circulating variants. My God. That's after eight months. Your vaccine mandate is so ridiculous. You're saying if you got the jab 20 months ago, then you're good to go, and, and in the meantime, you do have an exemption according to your website. Somebody can be tested every week, every week. Why would you test somebody who's, had, who, who's not had the vaccine, uh, but you wouldn't test somebody who had a vaccine that is no longer effective according to the CDC? you have any scientific basis for doing that? Yes, again, we, we're following the guidance from the CDC.
6: Right. That's it. That's all it is. We're trusting what they told us. That's the science, right? That's science. Science trademark. That's what CDC says, right? You see my point? That's even what he says. You're not trusting the science. You're trusting what the CDC says the science is. And they've been caught numerous times lying. But the, 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 these people are just going through the motions. They know what they're supposed to be doing. It is mysticism, disproven myth and superstition. That's what this is. This is dogma, vaccine dogma. That's where we are today. But there's many more points to bring up. As you know, what about natural immunity? Right? What about what about the idea of? I mean, I, I go off forever. The point is that these don't make sense, and we know that they don't stop spreading. They don't. And here's the biggest point: it's not just about whether or not they work after six months, because we don't. I don't think they work at all. It's about the fact that you don't stop transmission. You can still catch and spread it. There's no way you think a mandate makes sense when the very people that are spreading it more than anybody, provably today, are the people with injections in their body. If the opposite. It's actually counterintuitive. But that's it. It's because it's about control. And even as this is openly called out in Congress, we're still here. That's wild. Now, my point about showing this first we're still talking about the blood discussion but the main, the the secondary point for a second is the the adherence to the narrative. Right? That's what this comes down to. It's about tr- maintaining and, and the question should be whether or not the American red cross even knows they're doing that. I mean, I think at some level they know they're doing that, but whether they know they're doing it now, right? They, they they might not even look at what the new information is because they just know the talking points. Right? it's the same thing with this. He's just going along with what he's told. Well, as you know, here are a couple other examples that I want to continue to push out there that is exactly like that. I put this one out the other day. How can the COVID jab, bivalent and original, as you can see in the documents I provide, both the links and the images, how can they be given by Walgreens and CVS right alongside the flu shot, actually advertised as a simultaneous package deal? How can that happen if the most current official documents from the jab makers show they have no idea if it's safe because it was never studied crickets i again i genuinely want you guys to send me literally anybody else making this point anywhere i want to have them on the show i want to talk with them i want to have a laughing conversation about how crazy it is that nobody seems to be calling this out in the corporate discussion anywhere even for people that are attacking the vaccine like this is ridiculously obvious that's not the same. That's not the point of saying I'm the only one talking about this. I want to see other people talking about it. I want to show them on the show. I want to make it clear that this is a big point, And I'd love to see somebody else making this because the reality is they are saying come get both of them. The CDC says it's safe. But both of the documents as of September 22nd and August 31st very clearly say we don't know if it's safe or effective if you do this. And of course, long term data unknown <laughs> like that doesn't matter, of course. And same thing from the FDA document. There is no information on the administration of both, which means it could literally be deadly. You could die on the spot. You have no idea. But they just go do it, though, because that's, that vaccine's good. And, of course, as down here you can see, adding to this, the CDC also says both, that they are, go ahead and do them, except the secondary one says, well, with limited data, which is not true, it's no data is correct, but they simply go, well, we don't know, but do it, though. That, it's just mind-boggling. The other point, I added this out today just because it's the other part of this. How can they, how can the COVID jab, bivalent and original, be recommended as safe to pregnant and breastfeeding women if the most current official documents from the jab makers show they do not know if that is safe? Crickets. Because that is what it says. No data are available regarding the, the COVID injections, bivalent, as well during pregnancy. Here's the other one. Use in pregnancy. The safety of the profile of vaccine is not fully known in pregnant or breastfeeding women. It's infuriating. Okay so that point made yet again and the CDC saying the same thing safe for pregnant people no they don't know that it's just ridiculously counter it's backwards it's the opposite of what's actually happening and they should be in jail just for that alone okay now on that point the adherence to the narrative is why this continues here's a doctor saying my my warning to the hospitals do not transfuse the blood of mRNA vaccinated person blood to children, especially if vaccinated within the last 30 days. It causes an unnecessary activation of the clotting factors, and can cause a life-threatening clot or emboli to take and kill the child. Now, you, you don't have to listen to them. There's plenty of evidence out there that says exactly that. And again, this is just somebody else's statement. To date, these are doctors speaking, I have not heard of any facility that treats vaccinated, unvaccinated blood differently. Generally, blood given to babies is no different from blood given to adults, except the blood is fresher. It is possible to transfer mRNA nanoparticles and or spike protein via blood transfusion, which we have already seen proven. Washed blood, which is apparently a thing, may reduce the risk, but not routinely done. We are in uncharted territory. This worldwide experiment on world population without clinical data is insane and needs to stop immediately. Here is one of the studies from Journal of Immunology we just looked at. This is from 2021, in fact circulating exosomes with COVID spike protein are induced by the Pfizer injection vaccination prior to the development of the antibodies. The point being that you have spike proteins circulating your blood, your body, not just in your shoulder within the first day. And I'll show you that next exosomes carrying the spike protein. And this is prior to your antibodies even be produced right away. Their argument, they still don't forget is that it does not go in your blood. That's what, the, I mean, how is that even possibly still there? surprised they didn't delete it by now. It does not enter the bloodstream. Well, there's number one, proving that are wrong. This is the doctor just commenting on this study. This is, again, 20, 2021, saying the spike proteins inside the exosomes were detected 14 days after the vaccine. It goes on long past that, by the way. What's the significance, he points out? Well, an unvaccinated person can get spike proteins made from mRNA from the injection from a blood transfusion. Pretty simple. And I think that's obvious. It's a no-brainer. Exosomes act as messengers between mothers and fetus. Therefore, the fetus may get the spike proteins from their vaccinated mother to react to it and react to it. This can explain the stillbirths from vaccinated mothers as reported here and here. And he posts You can look it up for yourselves. Here's another study. Now, realize all of these, the first one was the same one. This is a doctor commenting on the study. But all of these are proving to you, proving to you, that it does end up in your blood to some degree. I believe it's more prominent than we're realizing. But if they're able to stand here and say it does not go in your bloodstream, how do they explain this? This one is from May 2021, Spike Protein Behavior. It says, some of the vaccine dose is going to make it into the bloodstream. Of course, (laughs) that's pretty, of course, we all know that. That's all, of course, common knowledge. Like, isn't that crazy? So this is the difference between what the scientists discuss and what the standard commenting narrative is supposed to be. Of course it goes in the bloodstream. That's how he says it. But keep in mind that when the mRNA or adenovirus particles do hit cells outside of the liver or site of injection, they're still causing them to express spike protein, but they claim anchored on their surfaces, not dumping into circulation. But the point is, either way, it's still in your bloodstream. Therefore, what they're saying is fake news from American Red Cross. But they're claiming, but it sticks to that and doesn't circulate. But here's other science that challenges that. Circulating, circulating, vaccine antigen detected in the plasma, of the blood of the mRNA patients. 11 of 13, the vast majority, showed detectable levels of these proteins, spike proteins, as early as one day after the injection. Circulating, not anchored, right? So either way you look at it, either circulating or anchored, it's in your bloodstream. And that's the same blood that is being given to people right now by rank or red cross. That's really concerning. And don't forget, if you want to watch that show, oh, I didn't include it today, where I went over the red cross discussion in general. Oh, here, I should do this. It's probably faster. Maybe not. There it is. And ultimately, I go over this in this show right here. Vaxed red cross blood donations i play the i play the phone call i had with them back in 2021 where the person on the phone from red cross admits to me and it wasn't the first person you get on the phone i talked to them and they transferred me to the higher up because they weren't able to answer the question so that's even more important and she said on the phone that the antibodies by vaccinated blood were too they weren't strong enough that was the actual f- framing she the word she used so we couldn't use it yet that's not what they say publicly right now so why would they lie about that and the real reason is because of what we actually know this is doing. That's the important part. What this is doing, based on that idea, is it's actually removing the spike, the, the, the antibodies from the blood. And that's why they don't want to use them. On
7: your COVID-19 vaccine, you're going to want to listen to this. The Red Cross says anyone who has received their COVID-19 vaccine cannot donate convalescent plasma to help other COVID-19 patients in hospitals. That plasma is made up of antibodies from people who have recovered from the virus, but the vaccine wipes out those antibodies, making the convalescent plasma ineffective in treating other COVID nineteen patients. Yep,
6: yeah, and that's just one news report. We have the the Francis Frick Inst- Francis Crick Institute speaking on the record the same way, even though he did an article trying to cover that up. It's obvious this happened, and it was, and they, they did everything they could to hide it from your view. Here's another study. This one well, we've shown you all these in the past. Serious adverse events of special interest. Now, the reason I'm going to show you this one from Science Direct, peer-reviewed, is because of the things they discuss in those special adverse events, which are serious. And all include spike protein going to your blood. Of the 236 serious a- adverse events of special interest occurring across the pfizer Moderna trials, which is crazy, first of all, in the trials, they had 236 serious adverse events of special interest. Those are big deals. It's far more than that now, by the way, but this is the trials. 97% 230 of 236 were adverse event types included as adverse events of special interest, not the chills and headaches, guys, real bigger stuff because they are seen with COVID-19 Says in both Pfizer and Moderna trials the largest excess risk occurred amongst the Brighton category of coagulation disorders. So you want to explain for me how it can not be in your blood, but yet cause coagulation disorders? Cardiac disorders also have been of central concern for mRNA vaccines. In the Pfizer trial, more cardiovascular adverse events of special interest occurred in the vaccine group than the placebo group, right? This one thing should have ended everything. This is, and I'm not talking just the trials. But then they covered that up, hid the data, which they're only now trickling out. And here's another study during all this calling it out. And guess what? They still pretend it's not there. How can you have a trial about safety and find more problems in the vaccinated group than the placebo group in regard to cardiovascular and not immediately go, this vaccine is very clearly increasing the risk of cardiovascular danger to everyone that takes it more than they would if they hadn't taken it. Because that's what that shows. But nope, they're still hiding that. Meanwhile, we have baffling myocarditis and baffling heart attacks and baffling strokes and, I don't know, cardiovascular problems. Maybe it's because they found more cardiovascular problems. You see my point? It's right there in front of you. You guys know this, though. And continuing on the same point, point, hundreds of millions of doses of Pfizer have been given, and they point out, then just referencing, that's what they're talking about, the vaccines. In July 2021, the FDA reported detecting four potential adverse events of interest. Pulmonary embolism, acute myocardital infarction, immune thrombocytopenia and disseminated car intravascular coagulation all of which have to do with bloodstream state blood based on medical claims data in older americans three of these four serious adverse event types will be categorized as coagulation disorders thrombocytopenia syndrome and myocarditis and pericarditis are included all these include the problem of it going into your bloodstream reported excess risks for the following brighton event adverse events of special interest, cardiovascular events, coagulation events, hemorrhages, gastrointestinal events, and thrombosis. Yeah, but let's pretend that them saying it doesn't go in your bloodstream holds water. These are just some of the things I could have brought up. Brought, uh, brought up, But here is the last one. The reason I wanted to point it out is one from today. Today, October 1st. A case report. And this is just one person, but this in conjunction with everything else is very, very important. Multifocal necrotizing encephalitis sounds terrible and myocarditis after the Pfizer injection against COVID-19 so what it's showing you in this and I'll read it to you is that this is found you're finding mRNA spike protein in the dead body of somebody who never provably never had COVID-19 if that's even what's happening right so there's no way around this one it does absolutely go through your body and your bloodstream two it is absolutely killing people simple now you could argue it's one in a billion. That's what they'd love you to think, but when you again take it in conjunction with everything else, it's obvious this is far, far, far more serious. Especially with the Bayer's data that they don't want you to look at. As this says, the person died within with uh, three weeks after receiving his third COVID vaccination. His first in May 2021 was actually AstraZeneca, but then ended up having two doses of Pfizer. I just unbelievable that's even still happening. The family of the de- deceased requested an autopsy due to ambiguous clinical signs before death. Signs of aspiration pneumonia and systemic uh, art- arteriosclerosis were evident. However, histopathology analyses of the brain uncovered previously unsuspected findings, including acute vasculitis, predominantly lympho- lympho- uh, lymphocytic as well as multifocal necrotizing encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain, of unknown etiology with pronounced inflammation, including galal and and lymphocytic reaction. Lymphocytic, yeah. In the heart, signs of chronic cardiomyopathy, as well as mild acute uh, lymphohistocytic myocarditis and vasculitis were present. Although there was no history of COVID-19 for this patient. Immunohistochemistry for SARS-CoV-2 antigens, spike and nucleocapsid proteins, was performed. Surprisingly, only spike protein, but no nucleocapsid protein could be detected within the the foci, foci of inflammation in both the brain and heart, particularly in the endothelial cells of small blood vessels. Since no nucleocapsid protein could be detected, the presence of spike protein must be ascribed to vaccination, rather than the viral infection. So one, he never had covid, tested never had it. And two, the absence of the nucleocapsid protein proves that it was from vaccination. The findings corroborate previous reports of encephalitis and myocarditis caused by gene-based covid-19 vaccines. This is peer-reviewed on the MDPI Vaccines journal. This is this is a high-level journal, guys. I can't believe this is still being dismissed by the corporate media. This is very, I, I would go to the level of calling this proof when taken in conjunction with everything else. Don't forget, we also have two different studies of people getting autopsies where they found MRA all, everywhere in their body. None of this gets reported by the corporate media. This is huge. But again, when focused on by itself, it gets just, they're going to go, oh, it's one person. So it's not, that's what they're going to do. They pretend like we don't have a waterfall, a mountain of evidence coming from every peer-reviewed journal out there as we're pointing out here from science.org bloodstream from the, you know it's all over the place now we have continuation of people collapsing from unknown baffling problems An, a soldier 18 years old who was walking behind beside the queen's coffin was just found dead in his barracks And the only reason that's relevant to the queen is because we saw 400 plus people collapse during the waiting for the coffin. We saw two different guards collapse during the funeral at different times. And now we have one of the soldiers there who died at the barracks. Sudden death, they report. This is Apple news, guys. I mean, my God, it's just, it's becoming almost comically stupid. This is becoming a farce. It already is. I don't know. Is there there anybody that can't see how crazy obvious this is? I'm not saying that we know every one of these people are vaccine-related, but we've never, ever, ever seen this in every walk of life, in every field, in every TV show, in every newscast, in every... I mean, it's everywhere. You can't point out a situation that hasn't seen people randomly, weirdly collapsing, and they're just pretending that we're focusing on it now. Well, no, you can look back at the term sudden death, suddenly collapse. You've never seen this before. This has never, ever, ever happened like this. Not like this. Here is an example of just that. From a, a, a Sergeant News Network, not, I don't know which that's. That's not Sgt from before, is it? I forget. But at another collapse during a live broadcast, as a Finland Interior Minister collapses during a broadcast on Nord Stream, isn't that interesting?
0: Tulee saa iskuja ja olla vaikka suomalaisetkin tietoliikenneverkot tai voimalaitokset vaarassa. Miten pääministeri kysymys pääministeri uhanoinille antaa? Pitäkö? Pitäkö me? Me pitäkessä?
6: my God oh, oh and by the way don't forget the guy who collapsed in front of the kitten the now king at the place in regard to vaccines he just passed out right in front of him it's just it's just painful right all these unwitting fools who took the thing they thought was gonna save everybody right it's actually killing them it's very sad here is Zuby pointing out one of those you know, how it started, how it's going kind of things. Here's a Mr. Pro, everyone, you're wrong if you don't take it kind of person. I'm massively hostile to the anti-vaxxers, he says. Love the Singapore idea of making them pay for their hospital treatment. Or, if that's too strong, the Greek idea of fining the elderly 85 pounds for every month they refuse the vaccine. The elderly. Something must be done, Kelvin says. Blue checked and everything. Well, that's December 2021. Well, here's how it's going. December September... 2022. I am currently having a much worse reaction to my COVID jab than either of my two bouts of COVID. Am I unique? My God, these people just can't wake up to what's going on. As Zuby says, life comes at you fast. Loss. Dr. Brian points out all cause mortality in England for the first half of this year shows across the board. Higher mortality rates in those injected versus those who weren't. How do you possibly ignore something like that? Make what conclusion you will from this. But this being simply coincidence is a difficult sell. You can. This is right on the UK's own data. They're just not talking about it anymore. It's this obvious right now. And this is likely why the Pfizer CEO just pulled out of his testifying appointment for the EU Parliament for a COVID panel. He was te- set to testify, and at the last minute, about a week away, he just pulls out. Something very telling, isn't it? High-level contracts between Mister Borla and none other than Ursula von der Leyen, before multi-billion-dollar year, multi-billion-dollar, multi-billion-euro vaccine deal are under scrutiny. Now we, don't, I don't think we talked about this yet. I think I put it off the other day, but Ursula is under the gun right now because she did something like the FDA did with their little meetings. You know, they're supposed to have the collection where everyone talks about it and gives their critiques and they just go, "Yeah, we don't need it at this time, even though they're supposed to have to do that. Well, apparently she jumped over their own meeting of whether or not they were going to do a contract with Pfizer and just did it on herself, you know, because that's, you know, whatever. Government's only important for the bad guys to adhere to. We do what we want whenever we want. Pretend like we follow the rules, right? Pfizer Chief Executive Albert Borla has pulled out of an appointment to testify before the European Parliament's Special Committee on COVID-19 at which he was expected to face tough questions about how secretive vaccine deals were struck. Yeah, gee, I wonder why he doesn't want to pull back or doesn't want to be there. Don't forget, Pfizer is, I mean, it's unprecedented what they've done. Pulling out of countries that wouldn't give them indemnity, just going, fine, we'll leave them. Or demanding that they put up their military bases and other assets as collateral should there be a problem. All of this is completely proven. Think about how crazy that is. That, That shows you that they know something's wrong here. Other pharmaceutical executives have addressed the committee, including the CEO of Moderna, AstraZeneca, Sanofi. So why is he unique? Because Pfizer has always been unique in this process, guys. And I think we've always known that. I've, I've said it from the beginning. I like, could still be wrong. Pfizer was always the one. I said that because of Fauci's team having financial investments, because of Pfizer's overlap with everything going on. I mean, there, there's a thousand reasons I've already started, cited, but I've always said that. The report by the European Court of Auditors found that von der Lin, Ursula had been directly involved in preliminary negotiations for the EU's biggest vaccine contract for up to 1.8 billion doses of Pfizer, which was concluded in May, 2021. This was a departure from the normal negotiating procedure followed with other contracts. So that's interesting, right? One of the most important gigantic contracts in the history of vaccination in the history of this big direction. And she just goes differently, decides to do it alone. Why is that not very suspicious? It is. Where a joining negotiating team made up of other officials would have been contacted, but they weren't. She just did it on her own. I just saw a clip from, I think it was the German, one of the people from the European Union got up and basically said, you're one of the most dishonest people I've ever met. (laughs) Right in front of everybody. She's clearly dishonest. The EU watchdog also noted the commission refused to provide records of the discussion. So not only did she break the rules and do it by herself without the normal meeting, then she just refuses to give people evidence of what happened. Sounds really out in the up and up, doesn't it? Either in the form of minutes, names of experts consulted, agreed terms, or any other evidence. They said, nope, not going to do it. Refused. Everything about this whole process has been like this. Contacted by Politico, a spokesperson for Pfizer said the company's president of international development markets, Janine Small, would instead attend the committee hearing. Quote, she's been identified as the best place to support the committee in meeting their objectives. That's a political term, isn't it? Well, no, the reality is the person she dealt with was Borla. So if we want honest engagement and not political talking points, we should put CEOs on the stand, which is what happened, or rather on the stage or whatever. Of course not, because he knows there's a problem right now. They know what's happening. They see it just like you do, guys. And to that example, here's Sweden. Removing the recommendation for vaccination against children under 18. Now, there's already been some developments in this regard for younger kids, but this is as of September 30th. They have now actually changed this. It literally says, or where was it? Oh, right here. The recommendation on the general vaccination against COVID 19 for children up to 17 and under 18 and under is removed. So now you've got entire countries going, we're not going to allow, we're, we're not going to recommend this for kids under 18 at all. And right now you've got the US government cr- still enforcing mandates for children, still suggesting that kids six months old take the bivalent, untested injection. That's how crazy this is. Well, here's the uh, kind of otter looking Borla version. (laughs) The the prime minister of Australia saying, I will not apologize. Get your vaccines." Bernie tweets points out. And and she points out if he was really following the science, he wouldn't have said either of those things. We know it. They know it. And he knows it. Here's what he said. I'm not going to apologize. Go get it.
12: Look, I haven't seen the ombudsman's report today. It's only just been tabled. I'll I'll get briefed on that in the, the usual way. What I would say is this, that throughout the pandemic event, many very, very difficult decisions had to be made. None of them were made lightly and none of them were easy. And uh, what I will not do though, uh, is uh, apologize for doing everything possible to save lives.
6: And now comes exactly what I told you was coming in the middle of all this, like a year ago, that they would eventually transition to a point to where they said, oh, you know, we made mistakes, but, you know, we were acting on limited information. and We did what we thought was right. That's always what governments do these days. Act like they, you know, we just had to do what we had to do. And it, was, it wasn't it was perfect. We made mistakes. But, well, that, so so you're not accountable for things that you do? Like, what, what about criminal activity, which you're all being caught for right now? Like, this is just them trying to push back on the fact that you're calling them out for their malfeasance. Really, they're criminal acts.
12: That's that's what we did. Uh, and i just take you back to a time when we didn't have vaccines. Please, thank God, that would be nice. Or if we did have vaccines, only a very small amount of vaccine and a very small number of Victorians that were protected by that vaccine. And again, I'll take the opportunity to make the point vaccines work and if you're not up to date if you need your third or your
6: don't you love how this is how they always play this too vaccines work are we really i mean many plenty of people are and rightly so questioning all vaccines but the way he does that it, there's a there's a legal reason for that instead of saying this vaccine works which it's so very clearly does not by any metric of any kind this thing has failed they'll just they just won't say that but when you say vaccines work Well, this isn't even a vaccine. They had changed the definition to include it. So he's using the body of evidence of vaccines, which by the way, I can make a thousand points for why that's not even true. But pretending that he just saying that when he gets put in a court of law, he can be like, well, I just said vaccines work and that's provable. They think so. I, I genuinely think there's levels of that being included personally, but realize what he's saying is false in its truest sense anyway. All we saw was an explosion of the problem once the vaccines were given in this country and New Zealand. It exploded. They had very little problem before they gave the injections, and now what's happening? Well, it's even worse than ever, Bec- and and they blame whatever they can point at, and all they can do is just keep getting, keep getting vaccines, keep getting the new ones. There's nothing but absence of logic here. This is not science. This is adherence to dogma and going. I'm not going to apologize. Vaccines work. Take them. To the in in, the contra- in, in uh, contrast to literally everything in front of you that shows you the opposite of that.
12: fourth dose, or even if you've not yet got vaccinated. Pl- and if you're not up to date, if you need your third or your fourth dose, or you're even if you've not yet dose. got vaccinated, please talk to your GP. Please put your faith in science, <laughs> and please do everything you can to uh, take some pressure off our nurses
6: and our. Oh, we're still playing that card. You mean the dancing nurses? You mean the empty hospitals? Like these, this is my point, guys. These are these are they're grasping to a narrative that has long since been shown to be false. Amber. I mean, even the idea that they were short on vaccines—that was an illusion. Even in Australia
12: and all of our all of our team being vaccinated means you may still get this virus, but you are at a fraction of the risk of finishing up in hospital. And that would be a preventable hospital admission.
6: Also completely, un- absolutely disconnected from the facts. But what's fun. And, I- and Australia is one of the obvious ones. What the, what's w- like uh, New South Wales is one of the most obvious examples out there. What's embarrassing is that he is just tripling, quadrupling down on the argument here at the end. This is the only solution we have, right? I mean, that's all he's ultimately saying here. Of the risk of finishing up at the hospital. And that this will reduce the risk of people to take it, which is completely disconnected from the facts. And also don't forget that you can show him saying that this is going to stop the transmission. It's going to end the pandemic. And now he transitions to, well, just lessen your hospitalization. <laughs> that sounds like a good sell. Well, gee, you won't get that bad in the hospital. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, why does it, why does anybody think this makes sense anymore? So you, so you still get sick, and you go to the hospital, but it's not a bad hospitalization, right? It's one of those memes you keep seeing. Well, here is Milk, uh, what is it, Milky, Milky TV? M- Milk Bar TV, who made another great clip, showing you the contrast to what he has said before. And I love this. This is exactly what we need to do. Showing you to think, you, just the two, you take two, and you'll be good for life. And then take three, and you'll be good forever. Take four, you'll never die. Over and over and over. I love the song that you used at the end. It's perfect.
12: And I'll take the opportunity to make the point vaccines work hopefully a much much better 2022 than being vaccinated is an important part of that two doses of this vaccine is the greatest protection that you can have uh, for your health and the health of those you love you need to have three doses not two plus an optional extra but in fact to be fully protected to be fully vaccinated three doses that you'll be prevented not just from serious illness but from getting this virus this omicron variant and therefore giving it to others being vaccinated means you may still get this virus but you are at a fraction of the risk of finishing up in hospital and if you're not up to date if you need your third or your fourth dose or even if you've not yet got vaccinated please put your faith in science and <laughs> vaccines work
6: (laughs) that's great i just think it's hilarious to me i it's just so i keep doing that sorry it's so it's so funny to me how they keep just pushing and pushing it's just so ridiculously obvious by the way i can't hear that song anymore without thinking about uh um stranger things (laughs) just because of that i I, i'm a huge never Ending story fan i grew up with those movies the number one of course it's funny though i can't i can't hear that anymore without thinking about that movie But I mean, it's just, it's, it, the narrative has changed so many times and they just keep going and they just don't care that you can see that. I mean, look, there's the compilation right there. So how can it be? One will work and you're good. Two will work and you're fine. Three and then four and then five. That, that, that in and of itself was a conspiracy theory back on just two. We're going to save you. Remember? There's not going to be more booster. Remember those, those memes with like five, six different, uh, band-aids on your arm. Remember that? All fake news back then, right? How embarrassing. Well, here is Maxine Bernier from Canada. Pointing out that all of these people are completely influenced by the WHO, Pfizer, Bill and Melinda Gates, everything. He says it was revealed today, this is on the 30th, that the giant consulting firm McKinsey, which also has a client as the, the WHO, Pfizer, and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, McKinsey has those clients, but is also secretly managing Quebec's government response to COVID. What do you know? Why would that need to be secret? Because it's not, a, it's a conflict of interest at the best case scenario. And as he says, are conspiracy theory still a thing. Conspiracy fact, yet again. This is everywhere, though. They don't even act like this is a problem when they're called on it. They just go oh, lobbying or, you know, supporting us. They're giving us funding for, this, for the future of, the, of saving your lives. You know, however they dumbly frame it. But the point is that they don't point at it. They make it secret until you find it. And then they go, oh, well, here's why. They are, these people are corrupt across the board be quite honest, I don't even trust the, any him or anybody. I don't trust politicians because that seems like the smart thing to do today. But if, you know, some of these people do seem to be calling things out, but hard to see. But here in the, the last point on the segment in regard to Canada is a corporate media international discussion about how apparently nobody likes Trudeau. And I am beginning to think this is the reality everywhere whether it's Biden or anybody else, that the, that people are not buying any of this. And maybe that's always been the case. And I know I keep saying this, and I know it might just be wishful thinking, but damn it, guys, I'm starting to believe it. I think we are finally understanding that more people have always seen what we're talking about. And we've just been scared to acknowledge because we think we're the ones in the corner. This is British media talking about Trudeau, quote, off the scale authoritarianism, authoritarianism tone deaf. Sociopathic narcissist. This is what they're saying.
9: Tried to clamp down on people that supported the truckers' protest. So people that had um, right. provided money yeah. through GoFundMe, mm. um, GoFundMe kept the funds. That's the first outrageous yeah. thing. Oh really? And secondly, yeah.
1: yeah, I didn't even hear about. Yeah, that. They, bank they, they,
9: bank they basically accounts.
4: commandeered the money,
1: didn't
9: they? They did. And bank accounts are the people who'd, who'd sent. How
6: can you not even hear about that? You're literally a member of the media and you didn't even hear about that? That's like saying you didn't even hear about the Ukraine story. I mean, I mean, I mean maybe not that's not fair I guess, but the even though it's Canadian. That's that was a gigantic story. Huge. The idea that they literally stole money from the bank accounts of people involved in a legal protest is a gigantic story. I mean that just that speaks a lot though, doesn't it? The, it we're, and we all have our circles. I get that. Whether we realize it or not, including myself,
9: pretty crazy gofundme were frozen right so this is off the scale authoritarianism yeah
6: which by the way is why you should use give send go at least for now i mean they they seem to be the one that's not censoring people
9: Absolutely. And if he's not listening to the people complaining on Twitter, he is truly tone-deaf.
5: Yeah. Absolutely yeah. Right. But being a sociopathic narcissist, he's probably unlikely to resign, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> These people don't resign, yep. do I they? I hope he gets
4: voted out next time. I think he will. I yeah. just don't see... He can...
5: I did, you know what? It's funny. A Canadian friends of mine, not one person likes him. Not one person mm. likes him.
12: So... Well, I think, like you said, Laura, he started off as this kind of poster boy for, mm. you know, he was a bit like Tony Blair, you know, the young family, he's quite a handsome guy, you know, he looks quite a sophisticated... Dusty you know, yoga. women loved him and all that. And now it's kind of like he's it's almost like he's shed his skin. Yeah. You know, and now you it? see him for what he really is.
0: Oh shit. <laughs> when you say shed his skin.
6: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
11: <laughs> yeah, that's not a reference to a conspiracy theory.
6: <laughs> oh right. Oh we're not not lizards, not lizards. <laughs> like my God. You know what I love about this? Is that the conspiracy reality of a lot of the stuff we're talking about has gotten so mainstream today that they that they're even like why would that even be the thought to them that never would have been the case before but conspiracy theory has gone mainstream guys conspiracy fact in reality has gone mainstream and all they can do now is pretend like anything conspiracy theory adjacent is just like I it, I just I love that this is happening because the people in any kind com- CNN Fox News these kind of people it's it's uncomfortable for them they and more so to be quite honest for like the New York Times Washington Post that kind of grouping but either way. It's an important shift in what's going on. I love it. But what's important overall to see is that everybody recognizes that this is wrong, but just in certain fields of conversation, frame it certain ways. We need to realize that whether media, politicians, God, whatever, that you, what, you, you, what you're seeing, what you're feeling tends to, in context of COVID-19 and the Great Reset and all the stuff that's happening, everybody else sees it too. As we said before, you're not alone, guys. Now, I think one of the things that needs to be discussed here is at least the possibility that what we're looking at here from any number of things, from SADS, SIDS, and so on, might actually be a catch-all for vaccine problems, including COVID-19 uh, diagnosis today using PCR tests. Could I think is for sure in some part using the side effects being caused by these injections as in calling it COVID-19. And I'll make that point here in a second one of the things I want us to ask is we've talked ask about is about whether these categories and the terms were used for them were meant to be that way. Just a thought that comes to mind. MISC. I brought it up earlier. MISC is supposed to stand for multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, which if you actually look into it, they'll admit it's a catch-all for unexplainable problems. Still, so just seems to be a lot of those these days, right? We don't know what causes this. They they pretend that it was COVID nineteen related until they and you can look at. They still go, we don't know. We don't know what causes this. Now, we don't know what causes it. I would argue we don't know what it is, just because you can pretend. Well, we give it this drug and that does something. Well, that doesn't mean you don't know what it is. So, how many of these other catch all categories exist? I don't know the answer to that, but I know there are some. So, I want to start asking and looking into whether or not these are already there and have predated COVID and have been used to cover up flu vaccine side effects or anything else. Now, th- one, th- one thing I wanted you to think about is the term MISC doesn't make sense. Now, this is just a j- kind of a thought that I don't even think there, this may not connect to anything. I'll just show you the notepad I wrote down so I don't forget. MISC is what they call this but it's multi-system inflammatory syndrome so shouldn't it be msic or msi-c or is it just a acronym for miscellaneous there's a thought <laughs> i just i don't i just thought that was a laugh. i it struck me the other day and i'm like oh my god that's <laughs> it's miscellaneous which is kind of what it is it's miscellaneous just a dump all catch all for things we can't explain right which is pretty crazy in any case I, I that may be a little too on the nose, but like, like, let's just call it MISC in our miscellaneous category. I don't necessarily think that's what it is. I just thought that was kind of on the nose and telling. But let's we should consider this and ask ourselves whether there's more to what's happening here and it goes around COVID more than COVID 19. Now, my mother and I were actually talking about fibromyalgia as it relates to somebody in our family, and we got to asking this about what this really is what the categories are, what it's caused by. And it turns out when you look into this and probably a lot of other things, they don't know. In fact, there's a lot of discussion whether this is even a real thing. Let me show you. February 12th, 2021. Talking about, is this real? Now, of course, their argument is, well, yes, it's real, but it's real. Short answer is yes, because these people are suffering from something. That's not really fair. The, uh, the question is not, is this in their head or not? Right? Because that's part of it. The question is, is it fibromyalgia, this grouping of joint pain that's diagnosable and treatable as a cause? Well, no. The answer is no. Doctors don't know what causes this. They just treat it in in a multitude of ways. And they don't even know what causes it. So at the end of the day, you're just treating symptoms. That's all it is. So if you're only treating symptoms, you don't know what this is. So couldn't it be caused by a vaccine? Of course it could. Could it be caused by environmental problems? Could it be caused by industrial pollution? Yes, yes, and yes. Any of these things, 5G, so much in the chat? Yes, of course. Because think of, that's actually a good example. Like all of, like, because what it ultimately is is a bunch of like joint pain and body pain and all this different stuff that kind of just gets lumped into the claim fibromyalgia. Now, trust me, I'm not saying I know for sure that it's not. I'm just saying that they don't know, which means it could be just like the rest of this. And we know that the, the, uh, EMF technology, 4G, 5G, these things affect the body very clearly. But my point is simply to show you they don't know what causes it. Here's another example from Very Well Health. Scientists will refer to these as idiopathic, meaning that there is no apparent or known cause. Fibromyalgia is one such disorder. Alongside, another interesting point, chronic fatigue syndrome. Certain types of epilepsy. All of which are considered idiopathic, meaning they don't know what causes it. Therefore, we don't even know if that's what it is. It's just a name they give to what a grouping of symptoms they call something, right? So we have to think about that and realize that chronic fatigue syndrome, epilepsy, these are all things that we've seen connected to vaccines. Now, I'm not trying to force in the vaccine overlap part. I'm just saying that because it's on the mind, on top of mind, when it comes to what we're talking about in regard to vaccines today. Again, it could be any number of other things in the world, but that's one that we'll just use today because it's an interesting overlap. But I find that very telling. Here's what it says. To some people, this may be misinterpreted to mean not real, or even worse, all in one's head. But this is clearly not the case, they say. But again, the same point. Just because you can prove that they do, in fact, have some kind of weird joint pain or body inflammation... Does that mean it is fibroalgia or that it doesn't could it mean that it's simply a symptom that could be seen by a number of different causes? You see my point? So just because you see a problem does not therefore mean that this is real or that it could not also be in someone's head because that could be also true from somebody else that's next to them because you don't know what causes this. Right. I mean, it's as simple as that. But it says fibromyalgia is a very real medical condition that affects around 4 million Americans, or just we label 4 million Americans that have these symptoms as that problem, according to statistics from none other than the CDC. Well, look at that. Despite the fact that its cause has not yet been identified. How can you diagnose somebody with something you don't know what, that you don't know what the cause is? That is SIDS, SADS, all of this stuff. Fibromyalgia has characteristics and symptoms that are consistent among those who suffer from the disorder. Well, you know another way we could say that? We label people that have these symptoms with this name. Like, think it's a self-serving statement. Fibromyalgia, it's just a name you give these symptoms, has characteristics and symptoms that are consistent among the people we give this name to. I mean, am, am I wrong? I mean, it's exactly what it says. But one of the reasons why people often question the existence of fibromyalgia is that it doesn't have a single identifiable cause, such as infection, tumor, congenital defect. It just happens all around the world for a million different reasons. And while genetics are be- believed to play a part, again, read, we don't know, scientists have yet to uncover any genetic anomaly that could explain the spectrum of, spectrum of symptoms, experienced. The, when not my spectrum is that it's everything under the sun, joint pain, elbow pain, head pain, knee pain, it's all over the place. You can talk to anybody that has it. They're like, "Oh my, five miles is acting up," and it's just whatever. It's whatever they're feeling that day. And I'm not. I'm not saying it's not real. What I'm saying is that is talk to anybody with this problem. It's kind of all. It's ubiquitous. So the point is, uh, the the even the genetic point that they believe is why it's happening, they can't find a, a connection. So even their leading theory, they can't find a connection. What does that tell you? Either they. Can't find it or they don't want to. It is an impression that it, it, this is the important part to me with the overlap to the vaccine part from today. What do we hear all the time right now with COVID? What is the number one thing we hear long COVID causes? Send me in the chat, I shouldn't do that because it takes too long to catch up. But there's one thing they keep screaming about that is connected to everything COVID related, vac- everything. I guess not vaccine, they don't want to say that brain fog, right? We hear that everywhere today as if it's never been talked about before. This is, again, from before. And talking about fibromyalgia, it is an impression that is only strengthened when a person, the impression being that, uh, what was it? Unpredictable or that it's all over the place. Oh, that it's an emotional thing, that your emotions can cause flare ups, which does seem to be the case. Even if it's real flare ups, it does clearly tie to your response that you can read about this. But what it says is that impression is only strengthened that it's all in your head, sort of by the fact that people experience brain fog a symptom of fibromyalgia characterized by the doling of one's emotional cognitive response. That's interesting to me. So now you've got this overlap with this broad thing they just apply to anybody dealing with this, and it just happens to be with another disorder that they can't prove. I find that to be really important. Here's what the CDC says. Same thing. The cause of fibromyalgia is not known, but let's diagnose it everywhere, over 4 million people. That's dumb, guys. That's dumb. It should be we don't know. Here's another example. Untreatable STI, which apparently stands for uh, sexually transmitted infection. I didn't even know that. I thought STD, but apparently they, maybe that's new. Somebody tell me. STI, apparently. Untreatable STI linked to infertility. Miscarriage. Look at that overlap. That's not perfectly in line, is it? Due to silent spread. Which means you'll read into you'll read about it asymptomatic. So now we've got an asymptomatic potentially STI problem that just so happens to cause infertility and miscarriages, which are overwhelmingly exploding because of the injection. But no, no, not it's because of this weird thing we can't define and can't diagnose and is asymptomatic. Gosh, I mean it's just pretty. So, self- sir, is that possible? Yes, but. Instead of looking at the thing that we've admitted can cause all of this and just don't want to assign it to this problem, we reach out and hold on to anything else. It's the sun, it's the blankets, it's your colds. your drinks, it's everything else we can point at, right? Could be, could be anything other than the thing we know causes it, right? Someone says STI has been around for a while. That's, I just never heard that before. It's a new sexually transmitted possible superbug, which just, if you ever want to dig into the story of superbugs, they've been yelling about this for a long time, rightly so, but nobody cares to look at it. The overuse of antibiotics as a regular practice is creating resistant problems. I argue that's a completely self-serving choice, but you guys can dig in it for yourself. The the point is it's their own creation. But a a possible superbug that has proven resistant to antibiotics, again, their choice, actions, thus far, has scientists worried amid an out-of-control STD epidemic with the medical community saying more screenings for the disease are needed. Interesting how this is overlapping with the scaremongering around sexual activity for monkeypox, right? My, it's mycoplasma genitalism, gen, genitalum, genitalium, that's what it is. Myco, it's funny, people always ask why, like I don't, I read these when I'm prepping the show, and I say them in my head. It's different when you read it and when you seek it out loud, and I come to the show and I'm like, oh, that's right. I don't I want to work this through. Mycoplasma genitalium, also known as M genitalium or M gen, which is interesting too, MGen, like, I don't know, it's weird overlaps, is a sexually transmitted bacterial infection that can cause genital pain, bleeding and swelling, as well as infertility and miscarriage. According to science, which by the way, the COVID injections are clearly doing, provably. According to scientists, the worrisome aspects of the infection outbreak are that there is little testing for it and little information about it. What do you know? Maybe it's not there at all, right? Well, let's let's just say this. It's probably something, could be. And and it very likely has this connection. The point is not to say that it's not actually causing infertility miscarriages. It may They would probably pick something that does. The point is to point out something that's very disconnected and could be adding to the illusion that this is why we have an overwhelming problem with these things, but not the thing we've already proven can be caused by the vaccine, the injection. Right. So you float the idea that there's this weird silent killer that's asymptomatic. So, therefore, it's this bigger thing that we can even prove. And therefore, you create the illusion that the miscarriages and fertility are being caused by something not vaccine related, even as you can prove the vaccines causing them in some ways. You see what I mean? Like, this is just an effort. And this is why we see them writing articles about climate change causes heart attacks and it's everywhere. Now, could it have a factor? Of course, in regard to whatever, eating red meat or hot and cold drinks. They play a role in these things, but such a small degree, it's a cover-up tactic. I believe that. Like other common sexually transmitted diseases, such as chlamydia, gonorrhea, MGen can present sometimes as asymptomatic. Of course it can. And people can carry it for years without realizing they're infected. So everyone's probably dealing with it, and that's why they're all having problems, right? That's an easy sell, but the complications can be severe. A study published in the Sexually Transmitted Infections Journal in May reported the risk of preterm birth increased by nearly double in women that had MGEN. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention warned of an out-of-control rise in STD cases in the U.S. Really? Come on, guys. MGEN can be passed on through gentle to genital sex as well as passed to unborn babies through mother-to-baby transmission. I mean, sure, let's, let's just take it. This all could be probably real. But the point is that all of this perfectly overlaps with what the injections are doing to people. Clark identified the lack of information around the disease as a problem, telling the publication it will continue to get more dominant so far as we're not aware of it. So is it even there? Lack of information? We can't prove it? Asymptomatic? I mean, come on. Those are questions we should ask with what's going on today. The CDC doesn't recommend testing for it, and only testing to identify it, called the Aptima Nucleic Acid Amplification Test, was only approved in 2019. And is not yet available everywhere. So how do we even know this is happening? Nah, just, I mean, I think we should ask these questions. That's all. Oh, and here's the interesting point. When they point to this article or the study, when they reference this by saying that it definitely does cause these things. I forgot to point out when I said it. Where was it? Yeah, right here. Study published in May reported the risk of preterm birth increased by nearly double. Well, here's what it actually says. May, May, 2022, M. genitalium might be associated with an increased risk of preterm birth. Well, that's a little bit different. And guess what? There's insufficient evidence. Okay, so the only claim they have is that it's connected to birth and miscarriages, which they don't even mention. They just talked about preterm birth. And the point is that they don't even have the evidence enough to make that claim. They say it could be. It might be associated. But that translates over the New York Times. The study found it in doubles the women. You see my point, guys? This is an effort to grab onto anything that's even remotely, partially there to sell you on the idea that all the problems the vaccines are causing are not the vaccine, but anything else under the sun. That's my belief. How can you argue this is a... In everything that's going on in the world, it makes sense to write this article with that level of evidence. Might be not enough evidence. Becomes an entire article about how this thing's causing miscarriages. That is nothing if not coordinated. And, of course, if... That's not enough to scare you. Well, they're floating all the ideas about what's going to come next all the time. And as I pointed out the other day, I told you this was coming. The flu argument is an easy sell. Just simply arguing that, well, what happened turned the flu into something bad. Maybe it's always been the same illusion. A potentially fatal strain of the flu currently in circulation. Well, where where is it then? Is it killing people? What country is it in? Would be more of a threat to public health than COVID this winter, they say. Oh, winter's coming, dark winter. This winter's scary. Every this is the same old routine, guys. Remember the past two twin demics? It didn't happen. This is a senior government health advisor warning a potentially fatal flu. So is it, is it fatal? We don't know. Might be. Could be. You can read it for yourself. It's it's just blatant fear mongering about another flu, possible flu strain that could be, if this happens, dangerous to everybody. Worse than COVID. Could be anything. Could be worse than anything else. Could be. I mean, I'm emphasizing that for a reason, guys. Potentially fatal could be worse. That's not that's the language they use about the worst case scenario as the WHO called not for in 2007, fear-mongering. And it shouldn't be about worst case scenario. It should be about balanced risk assessment. But they don't do that anymore. They hype up the potential for fear and argue money, money, and lockdowns and action because that's what the disease experts are all about. And of course, if the flu doesn't scare you enough, well, don't worry. They've got Ebola on the wings. Deadly new Ebola-like virus posed for spillover. This is one we already talked about, by the way. But they just keep hyping it day after day. Could be. Next one might be this. You know what? It very well could be. The point is they don't know that either, and all they want to do is hype up the fear to keep you stuck in the biosecurity state just long enough to get you pushed into the technocratic prison they're building for you right now. Which, on that note, is exactly where we're going to finish this off today. Bernie's Tweets points out, whilst you are distracted, The Federal Reserve has announced its pilot social credit score system, an ESG system. That's what's happening right now. Almost identical to that of the Chinese Communist Party's social credit score system. We told you this was coming. We did indeed. And here's the Federal Reserve Board uh, Board of Governors website, Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, posted on the 29th of September. Federal Reserve Board announces that six of the nation's largest banks will participate in a pilot climate scenario analysis exercise designed to enhance the ability of supervisors and firms to measure and manage climate related financial risks and yes this does involve an ESG social credit score system or was it hold on hold on should have highlighted it before in 20 in, uh, hold on let's go right here that's why this is what I did with the last point with the other one as well. This is the report of this coming from Jordan Sachtel. The Federal Reserve has taken a major step in the direction of facilitating an ESG. Oh, that that's right. That's what I was going to do. I forgot I had these up right here. So we've talked about this numerous times. The ESG, which stands for environmental, social, and governance regulations, rules, guidance, that's how they're playing this. That they're going to be using these to guide the the moral shaping of the world. But the problem is that it only applies to people that are the bad guys. As they talk about, well, we're going to talk about, because Ukraine, right? Using weapons and, this is so stupid, the Bloomberg thing. They block this, now this this advertisement's right in the way. But talking about whether weapons should be listed. That's not a joke. By the way, this already happened. This is the old conversation back from uh, February. Since then, they have discussed and added Weapons, nuclear power, gas, and oil, I'm not making that up as ESG, right? Well, you're not allowed to use gas in your car, oil in your car, because you're polluting. But they're going to, because why? It leads to freedom. I'm not even making this up. That's the truncated argument they make that, well, because we need weapons to fight bad guys and then institute freedom, which then leads to green revolutions. Well, you know, freedom and ESG. I mean, that's how stupid they think we are. But... The Federal Reserve of all places has taken a major step in the direction of facilitating an ESG compliant monetary network that effectively acts as a parallel system to that of the Chinese party's infamous social credit scoring system. The Fed said in a statement Thursday, six of the largest, large nation's largest banks will participate in a pilot climate scenario analysis. Here we are again, exercise designed to enhance the ability of supervisors and firms to measure and manage climate related financial risks that that was the, what I was looking for right there. So the point is what we're talking about measuring and managing these risks and they that's using the ESG discussion. That's the World Economic Forum, you not UN Sustainable Goal the Sustainable Development Goals 2030 discussion. All of this is very clear. Scenario analysis in which the resilience of financial institutions is assessed under different hypothetical climate scenarios in an emerging tool to assess climate-related financial risk. Why is this all related about climate and finance? Like what's such a forced overlap, and there will be no capital or supervisory implications from the pilot. In other words, the Fed is working with the big banks to monitor their ability to comply with the ruling class's preferred in status technocratic tyranny. The unaccountable people behind the American money printer claim that this exercise is exploratory in nature and does not have capital consequences. You know, like event 201 was just guessing, even though it literally perfectly translated into exactly what happened. But it was all just a big guess though, right? The Fed is clearly leaning into the climate hoax narrative or the pseudoscientific idea that humans are catastrophically impacting the climate, but not because they somehow care about the environment. The climate narrative is the chief rhetorical facilitator for the esg environmental social and governance movement esg and we actually i want to grab this real quick or let me use this one Derek wrote a great article about this i should include about esg specifically i'll let that load there we go that load Back here, ESG acts as a Trojan horse for the continuing centralization of the American financial system. ESG finance, popularized by hyperpolitical asset management behemoths like BlackRock and Vanguard, who are online to own everything in this country soon, acts to prevent outsiders from challenging the regime-connected insiders on Wall Street and in Washington, under the guise of acting to manifest a healthier planet. That's important that there are guys. Sustainability is not bad. They're pretending to be sustainable. That's the problem. In other words, pro-ESG institutions are committed to attacking free market principles by means of deception, preferring the CCP-style, China Communist Party-style stakeholder capitalism. That's everything the World Economic Forum is all about. That allows for a small group of technocratic elites to make broad determinations about society and force them down your throat. uh, ESG Green Transition... Again, think about how how insulting it is to force this on people, but yet then quietly allow weapons and gas to be used by you because freedom, frequently popularized by powerful world governments and the Davos elitists, has served as the main vehicle for this movement, akin to the Chinese social credit score, which, guys, that's what this is. By another name, you're using metrics to grade people by their actions. That's what this is which is used to coerce businesses and, by extension, individuals into specific actions. ESG rules force individuals and businesses in America to deploy capital through gatekeepers of the system. Now, of course, this is from a a corporate level, but realize this translates down into a thousand different things when we talk about the carbon tax, which we'll get into again next, which we already talked about. Right? In every way, this becomes a, a, a framework for how your actions get graded and even regulated. Now, it says the banks involved in this pilot program are Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. You know, all the honest ones, right? You know, Wells Fargo that's gotten billions of fees paid out for, like, blatant criminal activity. Like, cr- opening secondary accounts of people's names and robbing them or taking people's car loans or from veterans. And like, got, all this has been reported on. And they, oh, they do it over and over and over. And they go, oh, it's a billion-dollar fine. And they go, okay, perfect. We planned for that. And we'll do it again tomorrow, which is what happens. These people are criminals and the government allows it. This is the beginning of the rollout of your social credit system, which, by the way, which I haven't made clear enough in the past few shows about this, which I've said in the past, though, we already have a social credit system. I mean, that's what credit ultimately is anyway. There's a lot of ways already that you're graded based on your actions, guys. And that's already happening. But it's it's minor for the most part. This is them instituting this on a level that will be able to enforce and regulate your life from high-level points. Let me see if I came up. I'm, oh, maybe it wasn't ESG. Here it is. Perfect. That's the one I wanted to grab. And then I think I talked about it here. Oh, here was the one. The, oh, no, that's today. That's the one from today. Oh, here's the story, the, the show we talked about, the, first of all, here's Derek's show, which you should, re, article, which you should read. Oh, excuse me. This was the interview with him. Here it is. This one too. So you can watch our interview. It's actually a great interview. We get into a lot of com- a lot of discussion about how this can be used, but here's the article itself, The Coming Terror of Social Impact Finance and Social Credit Scores, where he specifically gets into ESG. By the way, a long time before most people were talking about it, and then here, is the discussion I had back on July, 2022 specifically about the EU naming nukes and gas green. Now this is after the show I discussed this stuff in this is, this is the show where they actually said, yes, we're going to do this, which is just unbelievable to me. Now here's the world economic forum. Make sure to wait, did I skip something? No. Okay. Here's the world economic forum, world economic forum on September 14th, saying embedding, ESG into corporate strategies, which is exactly what they're doing, and decision-making will shape the future of startups, which just even just from a company level will shape the world. But then this is also trickling down to you, but this is the key, scaling it up with your company. This report provides insights into how to ensure that ESG is a core part of startup. This is controlling the future of business, but also your, your life. Here's Bloomberg pointing out in 2021, ESG assets, before anyone's even really talking about it, rising to $50 trillion. That's crazy. Will reshape $140.5 trillion in global AUM by 2025. Trying to remember what that was, actually. uh, Oh, American Utility Management? That can't be what it is. Assets under management. That's probably what it is assets under management in any case the point is that it will shape the future of the global economy and if we're I mean, that, that that includes more that includes everything guys and of course we have to realize that while they're pretending that they are bound by this if you can see that weapons groups so the weapon the merchants of death around the world the very people that we should be forcing this on first, if they were ever going to do that, which I don't think they should, because I don't think anything should be forced on anybody. But the point is, if these, if they were pretending they wanted to make a difference, the first people you should stop from polluting would be the governments and the military and the corporations, not you and your car. But it goes the other way around, right? They're going to go, at organic farmers and your little car. That's going to change the world. No, it's about controlling your life. These weapons groups, the very people that are saying, well, Ukraine fighting for freedom, therefore we should make weapons green. That's not even a joke, guys. They're actually arguing. This is back in 2022, or back in February 2022, that that weapons should be ESG assets because they translate to fighting for freedom. And they also list off uh, nuclear energy and weapons and gas and oil. It should insult. It should be insulting to you. Now the point is that's already happened. To going back to this, or rather, this discussion that they did come back and name nuclear weapons, gas, and and we- uh, nuclear. Weapons, normal weapons, and gas and oil as green, actually green, which is completely counter to the exe- the very movement, which shows you it's been co-opted from a long time ago. Now, to bring this over into the digital currency part of it, right? Because we understand this is the ESG part. This is the influence, attempting to influence people with the, you know, what they pretend is moral and altruistic, when in reality, it's about making you do what they claim is those things like sustainability. Here's the central bank digital currency part of it, which will combine with this, Once they force you into using it, which then will be the way that they control you using the digital currency, the carbon tax. Guys, this isn't even a secret. This is exactly what they're claiming they're going to do because that will better the world. But that's not what's going to happen. But when you force them to talk about it, they act like you're a conspiracy theorist. You can literally show them in their think tanks proposing these ideas. Here is September 12th, Reserve Bank of India to conduct central bank digital currency pilot project with four other state-run banks. India's Central Bank is set to conduct a CBDC pilot project with four public sector banks with the potential to launch toward the end of the year. According to media reports, the Reserve Bank of India will now work with State Bank of India, Punjab National Bank, Union Bank of India, Bank of Baroda to run the pilot, with fintech company FIS advising. FIS is a provider of payment infrastructure solutions, which has developed the Central Bank Digital Currency Virtual Lab as part of its Real Net platform used by central banks around the world. Overlap. Here's a completely different story. Exactly in the same vein. A couple weeks later, world's first CBDC pilot with four countries is completed. This doesn't include India, right? So this one's India doing its own thing with four different central banks, or four banks, and all connected to central banking institutions. Here are major countries doing their own thing, and this includes Hong Kong, Bank of Thailand, China, and the UAE. The Bank of International Settlements, the BIS Innovation Hub, Hong Kong Center, Hong Kong Monetary Authority, Bank of Thailand, People's Bank of China, and the Central Bank of the UAE announced the successful completion of the first CBDC pilot involving four jurisdictions and real value transactions. Guys, we are moments away from them forcing this on you or doing some kind of exchange for C. There's no way this makes sense otherwise. They would not put their time and energy into creating this if they weren't going to force you into using it. Now, before we get into that happening, by the way, here is uh, Richard Werner, who has already been interviewed by Taylor Hudak, which I recommend you check out, discussing, discussing, as he says, the final stage of a central bank digital currency is small. It's the size of a grain of rice. Talking about how this transitions into implantables, which is exactly what Klaus Schwab was telling you would be happening right in this time period. He's already told you that.
3: Well, central banks apparently, as I, as I heard from my sources, have already fully developed the final stage of CBDC. I mean, it comes in stages. initially, likely through your mo- mobile phone, yeah. but that's only an intermediate step. Mm. And the final stage is, you know, it's, it's small, and it's the size of a, a grain of rice. Now, why is that? <laughs> and it, it, that grain of rice is your entire wallet? or Yes, it's your digital ID, yeah. your wallet, uh, can be your your um, your passport, your key. What we found with our debit cards or credit cards is they've already now moved to the system you know, RFID chips, technology where you just wave the thing. Yeah. contactless. Yes. That is sort of the you know conditioning us in this direction. that yeah. in the future you'll just wave your hand. Because you've got the microchip, the, the microchip implant yeah. under your skin. Each step, there's a rational reason, you know, it's, it's easier just to wave this, isn't it? It's much faster because we always have to wait in the queues as everyone types in their numbers and all that. The next rationalization would be, well, but you can lose your card. Somebody can steal your card. Mm. And then you're just waving. Yeah. That's kind of risky. Well, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if you couldn't lose it and nobody could steal it? It's clear that that's sort of, <laughs> It is almost a step too far for a lot of people because it is a violation of human dignity to actually inject something like that under the skin. So mm-hmm. um, that's where you need some more persuasion. Yeah, this concept of universal basic income has been around for around a century, where everyone should get some kind of citizens, you know, payment. Since 2015, they've all come out. I mean, all the the big billionaires and and World Economic Forum have come out, oh, this is a good idea, universal basic income. Well, why suddenly now? Because now we have the technology for the microchip implant. Um, and so when, in 2017, Bill Gates came out and said that universal basic income is a good idea, um, but it's too early to introduce it. Now, what was still missing? So we had the technology for the microchip implant, but what was missing was... The digital ID hadn't been introduced. Advancing very fast, but
4: can you imagine that in ten years, when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our brains, and um, I can immediately feel because you all will have implants. I can and we measure your your brain waves, and I can immediately tell you how the people react, or I can feel. Uh, how the people react um, to your answers. uh, What the
1: fourth Industrial Revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital and our biological identities.
4: The difference of this fourth Industrial Revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing, it changes you if you take a genetic editing just in your biological incarnation are going to live.
6: It's very clear, by the way, that this is what he was proposing before we were here. Fourth Industrial Revolution will be having implant- implants and brain chips and Yeah, that's right now where I keep telling people where they're telling you we are. We're in the middle of the fourth industrial revolution. So you can't pretend like brain chips is conspiracy theory when he just told you that's what's going to be happening now. It's all written in his book and written in their discussions and spoken freely in their meetings, but then Twitter calls it fake news conspiracy theory. Because that makes sense, right? Here, by the way, is the interview that Taylor had with Richard Werner, COVID measures and the central controls over the economy. It's a great interview, and it's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not trying to go out of my way every time now to point out how far ahead we were on these things, guys. But check these articles out and check, go back in TLAB and look back through 2020. This is from August 15, 2021. And he is talking about exactly what we're seeing roll out today because Taylor had an excellent interview with him. Now, I want to play this again, which I've played before. This is the discussion of where the central bank digital currencies and social credit system, how it will be used. This is very easy to see coming. Now, you could argue the people in power might not do that because they don't want to do bad things. But if you believe that, which I just don't know how you could believe that today, but if you do, what about the next person in power? What about the person after that? What about if a new government takes over the country? What happens then? The powers are still there. We need to realize how this is never ending. If we take this step,
9: we can't go back far-fetched and you might be thinking that this kind of authoritarian control over your money is not going to be anything that we'll see in the future. Unfortunately, this is already implemented in the world. In China, the government is already able to program what its citizens can and cannot spend their money on. Over the last few years, they've limited millions of people's ability to buy things like train tickets, passports, and luxury goods. They're able to do this because of China's intense social credit system that links each person's identity and actions to their bank account. Allowing the government to see and to control everything a citizen does with their money. And it seems like the West is paying attention. In nations like Sweden, South Africa, and Canada, trials of programmable central bank currencies are already underway. And
6: And these were exactly what we were just talking about. That's what they're rolling out. India, multiple countries. These are being rolled into existence right now. They've already been there, but they're being implemented as we speak. This program.
9: In fact, almost half of the world's nations are at some stage of implementing this kind of programmable money. Meaning no matter where in the world you live, this technology is likely only a few years away. Okay, so how does programmable money tie in with the personal carbon limit? Well it all comes down to whether or not you've gone over your monthly usage, and if you have, there are two possible case scenarios for that. The most openly talked about penalty for a person going over their individual carbon limit is that they'd simply get charged for doing so, just the same as what happens happens to large companies today? Take in too many car trips this month? Or bought a little bit too much meat? In that case, you'd simply get a bill at the end of each month from your government so you can pay the price of being a naughty citizen. As your entire carbon usage would be tracked by a government CBDC, there would be no way to hide how much carbon you've used. And since they now also hold the keys to your money, they won't even need to send you a bill for your excess usage. Potentially, they'll just automatically pull your fine from your bank account.
6: Exactly. Right, And the point here is that this is how it will be used under the guise that that's even the right thing to do. Right, Not even getting into how they go about it. They're still standing on the idea that we have to remove carbon from the environment and that's not even reality. I'm going to get into this in a second, but the problem is, I mean, you can disagree with that all you want, but the point is that this is not accepted as the reality by a lot of people. I would argue the majority, but maybe not. Overall though, they're saying that we're going to base it on these things because that's what's best for everyone. And just making that happen. China's already doing this. The U.S. government acts like they're a bad guy, but then literally drools over everything they're doing. Now, here is, again, the Sergeant News Network. Now, I don't know if this is, this. I think this is Chris Skye, I believe, in Canada. I don't, I don't know if it's his network or not. I just don't, I'm not sure. But this is what he's posting. And this is where I saw it first. I'm not going to play the clip. I'm just going to show you the article that I found in Wall Street Journal. But China announces that their new central bank digital currency will expire, if not used. Now, what's interesting, the article he's showing in this is from 2021. But this is posted September 29th in 2022. So just to be clear, this is not new. This came out in 2021. But it's still interesting and overlaps with this. And it's very important. Wall Street Journal wrote about this. China creates its own digital currency, a first for a major economy. This is from... April 5th, 2021. Here's the point that they were re- re- referencing that article. China has indicated the digital one will circulate alongside bills for now and coins for some time. Bankers and other analysts say Beijing aims to digitize all of its money. Eventually, Beijing hasn't addressed that. I'm sure that's where we're going right this moment, though. Digitized money looks like a potential macroeconomy dream tool for the issuing government. This at a time when they weren't chomping at the bit from the u.s government side of it right just moments ago but now they're doing it so they w- i promise you they wouldn't write this today because they want to make it about look at what china bad guy's doing it says dream tool for issuing government that's whoever's doing it because they're unable to uh, they're usable to track people's spending in real time that's the easiest, nicest way to put that that goes along with everything else you could imagine with it, Beijing stands to gain vast new powers to tighten Xi Jinping's authoritarian rule. Yeah, so when the U.S. government does it for the same reasons, they're doing it for freedom, though, right? Of course, makes sense. But the point is, not just produce, contract your spending. They can control your spending. They can shut your spending off. They can restrict it. I mean, any way you want to look at this, this is what's happening. This is Elements of this kind of control already exist in China, as digital payments have become the norm as we're seeing everywhere now. Mr. Mu has said that the central bank with limit will limit how it tracks individuals in what he calls controllable anonymity. Yeah, right. The money itself is programmable. Beijing has tested expiration dates to encourage users to spend it quickly for times when the economy needs a jumpstart. They're literally creating a, a, a digital currency that loses value the longer you hold it. This is just the craziest thing. I mean, it's we all could have predicted exactly this. This is controlled. And it's the world they're forcing you into under a guise of what's right, even though what they're doing is not even remotely right. But here is the first indication. I don't know. I can't prove it because he doesn't technically mention CBDCs. But I agree. This is an interesting step that I believe will potentially include this. If it's not this step, it will be one coming soon. I believe that. I mean, there's no way they'd all roll these out at the same time. I mean, ask yourself how impossible it is. They all perfectly coordinate. All most countries coordinate for COVID. Weirdly, most countries perfectly coordinate for Ukraine. Weirdly, most countries perfectly coordinate for central bank digital currencies. Yeah, right. They're all going to just perfectly be at the same release date for the most part for digital currencies. How are you? There's no way that could happen without coordination before we got here. That's a simple thing to argue. So here is breaking news from, from, the, from Sky News discussing the Bank of England. Now, Wittgenstein writes, the banks will forgive loans to those who accept the new digital bank currency. Now, he writes that and cites this Telegram channel because that's the Telegram channel said, But not because that's what's provable, at least in my opinion. But in any case, I actually agree with that. I do think that's where we're going. But here's the clip. See what they call a, a guilt market, G I L T. And what this means, essentially, is that the government's stepping in to buy assets. Now, I agree that this may be one of the stipulations that we just don't see yet. But listen for yourself.
5: England just now, uh, Jane, with uh, a rather extraordinary statement saying that they are planning a gilt market operation, uh, which is an intervention from uh, the Bank of England. Uh, they say, to try to restore orderly market conditions. Let me just read out part of this statement, literally just in the last few minutes uh, from the Bank of England. Uh, they say, um, as the governor said in the statement on Monday, the bank is monitoring developments in financial markets very closely in light of the significant repricing of UK and global financial assets.
6: Yeah, and, and of course, this is not by accident. This is a completely coordinated and... and, and um manufactured crisis there's no way around that you you, they can argue they did it for a good reason that because we you know need to meet our goals for 2030 or because we have to stop bad guy putin but that still means it's your fault you're taking action that directly hurts the people of your population and then the u.s government's taking action that directly hurts the peoples of europe and also the united states this is very clear so the rising of prices whether gas you know whether whether energy, whether food, whether water, whether any of it, it's all coordinated and, and manufactured to to some degree, I think, entirely. But that, so the point is they're pointing at what they created and now going, oh, well, here, we're going to take an unprecedented step of stepping in and buying these assets. But again, the idea of whether central bank digital currencies will play a role in this or the next one, I believe, is what's what's coming.
5: Uh, The repricing has become more significant in the past day and is particularly affecting long-dated UK government debt. Now, what what they're talking about there is essentially part of the thing we've been talking about recently, the yields on government debt, which have spiked up to the highest rate that we've seen since the financial crisis. The the statement goes on, were dysfunction in this market to continue or worsen, there would be a material risk To UK financial stability. This would lead to an unwarranted tightening of financial conditions and a reduction in the flow of credit to the real economy. So essentially saying that this could, well, we're already seeing it, aren't we? You were just talking to to Ian about this, the fact that mortgage lenders are pulling some of their products because of what's happening right now. Uh, In line with this financial stability operation, so the bank has two Roles here. Uh, they they have a role of dealing with what's going on in the monetary side. That's interest rates and financial stability as well. So looking, making sure the market can function, the bank stands ready to restore market functioning and reduce any risks from contagion to credit conditions for UK businesses and households. This is the key pit bit. Sorry, I'm reading this out because we have literally just got it. To achieve this, the bank will carry out temporary purchases of long-dated U.K. government bonds from the 28th of September. So that's what they are planning to do. Obviously, that's from today. The purpose of these purchases will be to restore orderly market conditions. The purchases will be carried out on whatever scale is necessary to affect this outcome.
6: Now, that right there is the opening, in my opinion, right? So they just leave it unspoken that, you know, in whatever way we need to to make this effective. Well... That very well could be exactly what Wittgenstein pointing at.
5: Whatever scale is necessary to affect this outcome, the operation will be fully indemnified by HM Treasury. So it's been coordinated with the Treasury. Um, that's, I, mean, the, the, I, I could go on, but that's the main uh, part of this statement.
6: Now, the point here, guys, is that you can see this going where, whether or not that's the step they choose to take right there. Now, I just had a great discussion with this. Oh, speaking of that, I need to add the podcast to this. I can do that right now. Do that when I get off the show tonight. Uh, So I'll put that out. The podcast will be available for everybody, which, by the way, if you don't know, the Rock fan exclusive show I do comes out. uh, It will be consistently, hopefully, Mondays this next month. And it is exclusive, but I always put out the podcast. So everybody does have access to all the content, which is something I believe in. But this is a great conversation with Bernie's tweets. Which, by the way, she's also on other platforms. She still goes into Bernie's tweets, but she's on uh, Parlor, I think, and Gab, or, or whether, it, I think, a true social. I forget which one it was. But anyway, she's very insightful, and inter- I really enjoyed speaking with her. Very much sees the big picture here, I think. And what she uh, the title was, How COVID Was Used to Set a Financial Trap and Justify Digital ID Control. And that we get into this exact topic. And, she, and, and I argue that she says things in here that later came to pass after we discussed them. So I recommend following her to her, her account because she's doing some really kind of prescient work and in combining information. It's, you know, it's kind of like what I see myself doing in a lot of ways that it's not always, you know, the journalistic ideas, more so, you know, aggregating information in a way that's easy to digest and, and opens up the perception to other things that might be happening within it. You know, because it's, it's, it's not it's not as simple as just lining things up. You know, there's a way to put them together to where it shows people something. And I think that's important because not everybody can see things just because they're sitting there. You know, you have to frame it in a way that opens that door to people. You know, see, this leads to that. And here's what they're trying to do. And here's what they said this 20 years ago. And she's doing great work like that. So check it out. But the point is, this is where this is going, I believe. As you can see with the image we pointed out here, the, the fingerprint. Check, vaccinated. Check, social credit high. Check, carbon tax paid. Check, acceptable political beliefs. If you don't think that's possible at the very least, then you're just not paying attention. I mean, they're rationalizing the argument to literally enforce these things right now, everywhere. Now, here's a really ridiculous thing. <laughs> of course, because, you know, what do we need to do? We're, the world's falling apart. What, who should, Greta, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think, little girl? What's going on in the world and how can we solve it? You know, it's like, come on, guys. This whole Greta thing is ridiculous. No, I'm not sure I'm, I'm saying she's stupid. Maybe she has insight. But it's weird that this is the person that we ask in this sense and listen to her response. If you ever thought this person had more insight than they're they're showing, then this is how you find out you're wrong in that regard, because it's obvious that this answer from this person shows an utter, complete lack of understanding of really just finance, I would argue. But the value, like the value of assets, it's you'll see what I mean. Let me play this clip from Greta Thunberg with her solution. If we can save the banks, we can save the world.
3: This debate going on within the Democratic Party as 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 it tries to decide who to run against Donald Trump about whether or not to have a
6: response to climate change. And obviously this is not brand new, but the point is how she responds and then how it paints the picture for where we are right now. That is very bold. That spends a lot of money to do these transformations and this counter response, which is it's too much
3: it's too big, um, it's too expensive. Uh, do you have anything to add to these debates about, about just, the, in particular, the idea that it's kind of too expensive to deal
0: with climate change? I mean, it is, the money is there. If we can save the banks, if, then we can save the world. <laughs> I mean...
6: Really? That's it? That, that, you get, you, you get clapped for that? If we can say, like, I don't even think she, if we save the banks, we can save the world. Is that, is that class? Okay, good. You like that? Okay, that's it then. Like, come on, guys. I mean, that is, it. That is. I mean, I say it all the time, but that is childish. I mean, my God, save the banks and you can save the world. I mean, if there's one thing we should realize is one of the biggest problems for everything happening today, it's the control of the financial institutions over our lives. And even if you want to pretend it's not true, so, why, so the banks have money. Therefore, if we save them, we save the world. I mean, money is not even the issue. But why would we argue that banks are even value? They are manipulating value. I mean, God, I could go off forever. The bottom line is this is, it shows such a visceral and obvious misunderstanding of what's, the, what's really going on in the world. And yet we're going to trust these people to, so- to solve... A problem that's not even really happening, right? Yes, that makes sense. It's it's almost a perfect encapsulation of how ridiculous everything is today. It really is. But the point is, it's all save the banks, right? Because the banks will save us. Well, guess what? Here's another India is from India. Bank holidays in October 2022. Banks to remain closed for 21 days, right? Because they care about you. Well, as they're restricting your access to these things, we're just going to shut down for 21 days. There's no overlap there as we're quietly transitioning to digital currency. We're going to stop you from being able to take your money out. My God. Banks in India will shut for 21 days in October. This year, right now, this month. Including second and fourth Saturdays and Sundays. According to the Reserve Bank of India, Banks, banks will remain closed in India across different states. It must be noted, it says, that banks remain open on the first and third Saturdays of every month. So it's weird to say that. So they're going to remain closed, but they're apparently open on Sunday. I don't know. The bottom line is they're closing most of the month, however you spin it. And that's pretty wild. at a perfectly aligned time to transitioning away from the thing they don't want you taking out of these banks. That is pretty ridiculous to me. But sure, let's save these banks because they'll save us, right? I mean, that's the most childish thing I've ever heard in my life, but... The big point here is not about whether the bank, we, we know the banks are the problem. We know the banks have been caught manipulating gold and silver prices. We know they've been caught involved with drug and human trafficking over the years. And that's not a joke. Working with terrorism. I mean, guys, these are real obvious. Even like New York time level people have talked about this in the past, back when they pretended to be honest. The point is, this transitions over to something we've already told you about to finish the show today. As the counter signal pointed out on the 26th. World Economic Forum launches digital currency project. This is where you find the overlap, right? So you've already seen the ESG. You've already seen them bringing up the, dig- the digital currencies. you may be asking, how does that overlap? Right here. To reward climate action. The World Economic Forum, it's only one of the ways, by the way, but this is the obvious one. The World Economic Forum made a big move in the digital currency space this week, right alongside all the digital currencies coming out. What a coincidence. The launch of the Crypto Sustainability Coalition. Now, it's very manipulative to call it the Crypto Sustainability because this is not cryptocurrency. It's not. Doesn't mean they won't be using cryptocurrencies, but these are digital currencies. Very different. No, it's not very different. Cryptocurrency, I would argue, is digital currency, but digital currency is not necessarily cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency. Right? This, James Corbett's done great work on this. Now, all of them are concerning. All of them can be used to manipulate you. But it doesn't mean that there's some ways they can't be used to fight back as well. That's an argument that many people don't want to hear, but it's just objective. The point, though, I think this is meant to conflate those things, and there's a reason that that's happening. But that's another conversation for another day. Conversation for another day. Whew, see, I am speaking too fast. The coalition will examine how to add carbon credits to the blockchain. Right there. Carbon credits to the blockchain, okay? By the way, blockchain doesn't also therefore mean cryptocurrency, I don't believe. But the, even that I'm not an expert, James Corbett's a good person to ask on these topics. But the point here is that carbon credits are how this is used. So now we're employing the idea to overlap with climate change and the, the need to solve the green green, you know, take a green direction, even though they're manipulating that and calling weapons green. And so what they're going to do is institute carbon credits, which is including digital currency, to give you these credits or take them away based on whether or not you're taking action in the way they think you should. That's the control over you, as well as the businesses. That's the ESG. But it trickles down to you, whether or not you get to go. Oh, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Saw in the chat. I had it on the on ungranted Thunberg's face. Uh, Oh, here, just so you guys can see it. Here was the the the, the uh, t- article I just showed after Greta's face, showing you that India will shut down for twenty one or twenty one days in October, and then probably after that too, we'll find out. But then we're onto this, Keen Bexte from Counter Signal, The point being, carbon credits partners include Accenture, which we've talked about the Crypto Council for Innovation, Rainforest Partnership, the Sustainable Bitcoin Standard, and Zero Labs, and others. Carbon credits will be used to take or give them based on your actions. That's digital currency, which will be the new currency these, these governments are using. Then that gets controlled by the ideas of whether they're sustainable, whether they're government, environmental, sustainable, all the, the ESG, environmental, sustainable, governance. Now, if you can't see how that works in the perfect direction of controlling your life in the digital ID future, which was all set up by the vaccine passport excuse, then you're just not paying attention. Now, it doesn't have to be all of the things we're talking about, but this is what's happening, and it can be used against you. I don't know why we would take that risk. Now, here is Melissa Fleming from the United Nations speaking with the World Economic Forum Sustainable Development Impact Meeting 2022, and she literally says that we own the science on climate change. That's, what, that's her words, and they have worked with Google to make sure the algorithms only show what they think is right recognize that now even if they think they're right that's wrong even if they are right that's wrong you are stopping the flow of open debate and conversation now what the point the point is we know that they're wrong and especially with the vaccine discussion there's a lot of experts that argue that the climate change carbon removal discussion is completely counter to the human species the point is they won't allow that conversation because they've already decided what the truth is that's not how honest conversation works this is a manipulation from the top down.
1: You know, we partnered with Google, for example. If you Google climate change, you will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we would Googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top. So we, we're becoming much more proactive. Um, you know, we own the science, and we think that the world you know should know it and and
6: the platforms themselves also do what does that mean like genuinely like even from a non like like pretending that she didn't mean it in a bad way like so you own it are you the scientist that conducted it no Okay, well what are we talking about? What do you mean you own the science? And why do you mean you're partnering with Google to make sure that's all like they're just openly telling you what's happening. they wor- they have made a deal with a with a group that's not supposed to be governmently overlap with the government, which it very clearly is, probably built by the government. The point being, not probably, but the point being that this is a collaboration with the government and this platform, which means they are state conducting state censorship. They're controlling the conversation and they're not even quiet about it anymore. They just have already made the argument that what they're doing is altruistic and right. And if you disagree, you're a bad person. That's what they talked about before. This is no longer left and right. This is about good, this is about bad people and good people. But again, it's not even really the what we're talking about. It's not sustainable and not. They're lying about that. But they're framing this as no longer political, but simply that you're either on the side of human the, the what's right for people or what the conspiracy theorists killing us. And I just can't believe people have allowed these maniacs to push their way into controlling the conversation.
1: Um, But again, it's it's it is um, it's it's a huge, huge challenge that I think all sectors of society need to
6: be very active in. And she's talking about controlling the flow of information, stopping people from saying things they don't like. Now, here is an example of the allowable discussion, even though what John Kerry says right here would literally kill the human species.
2: You said twice, getting to net zero is going to be hard, really hard. And uh, just remind everybody that 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 will depend on whether or not we have some breakthrough technologies and breakthrough innovations, number one. But even if we get to net zero, we still have to get carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So this is a bigger challenge than a lot of people have, have sort of really grabbed onto yet.
6: And as Vanessa Billy points out, zero carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is what Kerry appears to say. Ice age and we all die. Just saying, <laughs> no big deal, right? And then, by the way, there's also the video we just showed the other in the last show in regard to the experts laughing about this. I believe I have that up here somewhere. Hold on. And you know, we, the point was these are cl- these are experts on the topic who are literally laughing about the conversation about what they're what they're arguing is what we all need to do. Here it is
10: giving the EPA the right to control CO2 by declaring it a pollutant. Yes. Think about that for a moment. Here is a pollutant. Let's say some genius comes up with the method. He's going to get rid of a little bit more than 60% of the CO2. And what will be the wonderful consequence of that? The death of all animals. <laughs> the plants have died. There's no food. Yeah. What kind of pollutant is it? You get rid of it and you die. <laughs> that's a great point.
6: <laughs> yeah. Sounds like creating a transhumanist utopia, doesn't it? Right. With a lack of human species. Like, I mean, who knows where that's going? The point is, I forget the context because that, that was on a tweet that I shared that. But they're experts, high level experts of, of climate science and whatever else the positions are. Right. And they're laughing because it's absurd. And that's the frustrating part about this. is It's just completely disconnected from the reality but they're forcing it anyway. And many of these people have bought in. Now here's an example of the media forcing their own agenda on this. And this is so embarrassing as uh, High Impact flicks calls him Don Lemonhead just so stupidly pushes this in. Like Don Lemon, remember, was the person who wanted to be a entertainment news uh, host. That's what he applied for. This is on the record. And CNN made him a news reporter because they liked the way he looked. So... We, we know, that's not to say he didn't learn on the job and gotten soup. He's an expert now, whatever. But clearly if you watch him, that's not true. And the point is he pushes in his own agenda. That's not what journalists are supposed to do, but here's what he does. And this guy basically gently pushes him back and says, no, no, you know, calm, calm down little boy. That's not how this works. You know, it, it, you can even hear his voice. It's kind of patronizing, but then he pushes back in later and you can see it on his face that Don does not like this, but this guy is, the expert in the conversation and all Don Lemon can do is push in what he thinks the narrative is supposed to be. That's their adherence to the dogma in contradiction to the evidence.
4: Can you tell us what this is and what effect the climate change has on this phenomenon?
8: Well, we can come back and talk about climate change at a later time. I want to focus on the here and now Now look at Don Lemon. We think the rapid intensification is probably almost done. There could be a little bit more intensification as it's still over the warm waters of the uh, eastern Gulf of Mexico, but I don't think we're going to get any more rapid intensification. If you look here, you can actually see, pretty interesting for your viewers, you can actually see a second eye wall forming around the inner eye wall, and that's basically the second eye wall has overtaken the original eye wall, and that should arrest development.
4: Uh, so listen, I just—I'm just trying to get that. You said you <laughs> he
6: didn't even hear what he had to say. He was just waiting from the finish so he could be like, wait, 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 wait. Did you just say? Like, it's just so plainly obvious how much that didn't—he didn't like that. And it just I had to stop just wanted to express like he just the moment he got done and wanted to jump right back away. Let's get back to what I was saying. <laughs> that's the—that's how all of these people operate. They do not care about any of this stuff outside of the narrative they're supposed to spin. They may have bought, drank their own Kool-Aid. I mean, that, that's how this tends to feel off the time. I just find this kind of
8: hilarious. That should arrest development. Uh, so
4: listen, I just, I'm just i just trying to get that you said you want to talk about climate change. But what, what effect <laughs> does climate change have on this phenomenon that, that is happening now? Because it seems these storms are intensifying. That's the question.
8: Here. I don't think you can link climate change to any one event. Okay. On the whole, on the cumulative, uh, climate change uh, may be making storms worse. Uh, but uh, to link it to any one event, um, I, I would caution against that.
4: OK, well, they, uh, listen, I grew up there and these storms are intensifying. Something is causing them to int- intensify. So this-
6: Okay, that is the dumbest thing ever. I mean, come on. So so he asked the expert, and the expert says, no, 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 it's not. You know, you can't really make that argument in a general sense. OK, well, I grew up there, so so I know that's his argument that is a leading journalist for cnn whose argument in contrary in when facing the data or rather just the statements from the expert who has the information so that's at least how they present these people right he's the expert he knows that's why he's on the show right and his answer when he says no is well i'm from there i know why because you were always there are you monitoring these things scientifically No. So all he's saying is my subjective perception because of what I see or people that live there tell me because my friends are there that I know, even though you just told me I'm wrong. That's again childish is what that is. That's a a child. I mean, my guys, it's just this is the crazy reality of where we are. These are the people leading the conversation.
4: This storm is just it's a massive one. Its effects are also being felt uh, in the southern part of Florida. What about the areas that, that may not be taking a direct hit or experiencing the storm surge, like on the West Coast? How much will the rest of the state be impacted?
8: Well, yeah, that's actually a good question oh. because...
6: <laughs> I kind of love that part. Oh, that's actually a good question. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> that's what that felt like to me.
8: ...be impacted. Well, yeah, that's actually a good question oh. because um, <laughs> we flip out to this other graphic. You can see uh, this orange area is the size. So if you think about how big the wind field is, and you can just see how Big that wind field is relative to traditional hurricanes and as that moves up and over the florida peninsula into the southeast united states you can see this big area uh, blue area of tropical storm warnings um, so it's really gonna be a big event for not just
6: now what's interesting too is that you know there's always this i i said it earlier though but there's this this overcompensation for any storm and it's just it's just so frustrating and yet storms can be catastrophic that's just and, and look, I don't even disagree. I do think storms are getting worse, but I think that's absolutely because of what they're doing around the world. And I mean that in both ways. I mean that in regard to manipulation, which is, it's, 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 like, it's, it's like, like the idea of uh, chemtrails. Are we really at a point where we can't admit that's happening? Like they've admitted they're doing it and we still pretend it's not happening, right? The idea about manipulating the weather, guys, this has been proven. And chemtrails overlaps with that, by the way. The idea has been proven. I mean, a hundred times over. I mean, there's been conversations about Israel's government manipulating the weather for rain or that they do this, or you can even just talk about cloud seeding, right? There is active actions happening from many governments that have been investigating this. I go all the way back to the, the hurricanes that happened in Texas and, the, and we could prove that there was unrealistic actions. Hurricanes do not intensify over land. It's an easy thing to prove, except that's what happened. I know for a fact that this is being used in some ways. And anyway, the point is, they hype these things for political reasons, but we should be concerned about why these things are happening in weird ways. And that's not a climate change point. That's an illusion with the fact that we're changing the world with our manipulation. That's true in a lot of different alarming ways. But if you want before the, the last two points here today, if you want the overlap for the bioeconomy, the bio engineered future, we already showed you the digital, digital ID, cryptocurrency, carbon tax overlap, ESG, if you want to see how the bioeconomy fits into the conversation of, you know, climate change or anything else they're pushing, here's
0: an alarming point to be made. I'll give two examples. So one is that uh, people eat too much meat, right? And if they were to cut down on their consumption on meat, then they would, uh, it would actually really help the planet, But people are not willing to give up meat. Yeah, you know, some people will be willing to, but other people they may be willing to, but they sort of they have a weakness of will. They say, "Wow, this this steak is just too juicy. I can't do it." I'm one of those, by the way. So, you know, but so here's the thought, right? So it turns out that we know a lot about. So we have these intolerance. To uh, so I, for example, I have milk intolerance, uh, and there some people are intolerant to crayfish. So possibly we can use human engineering to make it the case that we're intolerant to certain kinds of meat. To certain kinds of bovine, uh, bovine proteins. And there's actually analogs of this in life. There's this thing called the long star tick, where if it bites you, you will become allergic to meat. Uh, I can sort of describe the mechanism. So that's something that we can do through human engineering. We can kind of uh, ad- possibly address really big world problems through human engineering.
6: Great. So who decides what we do? and why you know it is it who cares if you want to eat meat right it's decided it's better for the population this is the where this all goes and my whole point about this guys is what they're discussing when they go over this stuff is that this is what is morally right even if it is or not just like moral bioenhancement where they discuss many times that if we should decide and maybe they already have that this is necessary for the the prolonged production of the species or whatever that we should do this covert Instead of overt, because you, the dumbed-down people of the population just won't understand. They've made this argument for bioenhancement, so that's why I argue it's possible. We're already seeing this happen with nanotechnology, with smart dust. Who knows? I don't know for sure, but it certainly is possible. What we're staring at here is the argument that well, because meat translates to climate change, which that's I don't. Again, we can get into this whole conversation. If there's so many absurdities in all this that aren't provable, in my opinion that we should alter the human species to not want to eat or not be able to consume meat or some meat. I mean, there's so many problems of, of consent, of choice, of freedom, of everything. But then you all talk about what, what are the possible side effects? What if you end up hurting the body to where we can't, we we're allergic to everything or, you know, there's a, we've seen the way that they don't, they, I mean, you could argue it's malfeasance or, experimentation. But in any case, throughout history, they do things like this, whether covert or overt. And it turns out they didn't know what we were doing. They didn't know the side effects. They didn't know how bad it would get or what it would build into. I mean, we've seen this happen over and over. And yet we can, they continue to pretend that we should trust that they have our best interests at heart right? Because they know what's best for us. They know what's best for the people in Operation Sea Spray. They know what's best for the people that they experimented on when they let all the mosquitoes out in the black population we just talked about. They've done this throughout history countless times. As even the CDC, or rather just specifically the government's admitted to, they have experimented some 239 times using biological or chemical manipulation on the human population of this country over 239 times they've admitted to you can look that up on the website. I've referenced that before. It's actually from the free Thought Project. It's a, they've admitted themselves. So why we would pretend they wouldn't do this or maybe already are maybe already are because they've decided it's for our best interest, I don't know why we wouldn't ask that question. If they truly believe as some of these maniacs do that we have to stop this because it'll kill us all in 10 years, if that's what they they are actually saying that, why wouldn't they do it? I truly believe something like this is already happening. Now, finally, we need to remember that Project Veritas showed you that the person on the hidden camera from CNN told us back in August that there would be a shift to climate change. Now, ask yourself how in the world that makes sense with the hyperbolic, fear-mongering push they all shifted into. How did they know? in August, that this would be the new focus before it became the focus. Does that mean that they knew it would be a problem, that they decided amongst media organizations and governments that they would do that? Or does it mean that this is all a coordinated plan and it's not actually about climate change? I mean, I don't know. But what we do know is that CNN told somebody in, we're going to shift to climate change before that was discernible in the conversation. It's always been a conversation, climate change. But we've seen this shift into our hair's on fire. We need to do it today or we're all going to die conversation from ESG to carbon tax to digital currency. It's all happened to the point to where we're barely even talking about COVID in the mainstream conversation right now. How do we not realize what that shows us? So I think let's do this. Let's uh, yeah, we're going to end with this clip since I I didn't want to pick something out. But I'm going to play this clip for you right now to finish out. And this is a clip you've seen from, CN- from Project Veritas where the guy from CNN says, that's going to be the case. We're going to shift away from this and we're going to start talking about climate change. At the very least, even if you think that's something that's going to be killing people and a big concern, realize that it's coordinated. And maybe you agree with that if you think it's a concern. But you need to realize the false nature of all of this stuff and how they coordinate and plan. And it's not about left or right. It's not about anything other than controlling your life under the guise of doing what they claim is right for you, in many cases, even though it's not. I just can't be more clear than that today, and I think the the proof is in the pudding, guys, and it's all right there in front of you. Everything you need to see, if you just care enough to look at it with an open mind. Thank you for being here, as always, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant
0: start focusing mainly on climate. Climate like global warming and so our next thing is gonna be for climate change.
9: Climate crisis. Climate change.
0: Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate
11: change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate crisis. Climate change. Climate change
0: warming climate. Climate crisis. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. climate change. Climate emergency. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate
2: change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change.
0: Climate change. Climate crisis. Climate change. Climate change. The George Floyd moment for climate. Climate change. Climate crisis, global warming. Climate change is real. It's the climate crisis. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change.
5: Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate crisis. Climate change. Climate change. Climate
9: change. The planet is on fire. Do you think it's gonna be just like a lot of like fear, climate?
10: Yeah, fear sells.